This episode is supported by Dove. Over half the girls around the world suffer from low self-esteem, which causes them to opt out of important life activities and puts their health at risk. Dove has created and uses educational evidence-based resources that are designed to help young girls and boys reach their full potential. They cover topics like bullying and social media to help young people build a positive relationship with the way they look. You can get these printable resources to help increase self-esteem in the young people in your life at dove.ca slash self-esteem. But Alex, yeah, Shane? let's begin this episode. Let's do it. Hello everyone, I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree Podcast, episode 74. And this episode has a little bit of everything, doesn't it? It does have a little bit of everything. I'm excited for this one. These were two awesome interviews. With three awesome guests. Yeah. First up, so we have Burton Buffalo and Dustin Patrick Smith. So... First of all, their names sound like they're what, like 60s, 70s movie stars. If you don't know them, you need to check them out on YouTube. So they are gay dads raising a set of twins. They are amazing fathers. They are all in for family fun, positivity, and they are LGBTQ activists. Their accounts are full of so much love and positivity and warmth. You need to check them out. You will love them. Next up which I was so excited for and a little nervous for, was Jamila Lemieux. She is an incredibly prolific writer, blogger, TV commentator. She's been on everything. And she currently works for Slate as a contributor to their parenting column, Care and Feeding, and co-hosts their parenting podcast, Mom and Dad Are Fighting. Yeah, and I sat out this interview. For the most part, I did come in with (laughs) a great first question, but then Lucy needed me, so I had to leave. No, it was it was kind of nice to sit there with her and just talk more motherhood and relate on that level. But she was wonderful. She's incredibly talented. And again, just an interview full of so many great nuggets of wisdom. Like what? Well, they have to listen and hear them. I'm not going to give them away right off the top. Well, I'm just curious because I haven't listened to the interview and I didn't edit this interview. Well, you're going to have a good time listening to it when it gets released, Sunshine. Okay, well, let's let's crack into some sea lip. All right. Cheers. All right, so sorry. What, what drink is this? All right, so tonight we are drinking a garden mule. So I kind of oh, made man. it up. This is good. But I have Fever Tree ginger beer, which Fever Tree makes the best mix of all time. And then we're using uh, Garden 108, Seedlip Garden 108. And I just mix the two with some ice and garnish with a little piece of dehydrated fruit. And it is so yummy. Do you feel that in your sinuses? It just tastes really good and feels really good to drink. This is so what i needed right now it feels like a bit of a stiffer drink doesn't it yeah so no alcohol this is excellent no alcohol but it feels like a stiff drink and i need a stiff drink days (laughs) like today you're telling me all right let's get into the topics and i don't have many to be honest what i wrote on a sheet of paper was feeling helpless Because that is how I'm feeling lately. And I know you're feeling this way. But what might be making me feel worse is that yours has an explanation in the fact that it's medically induced, maybe. Because you are on medicine that one of the byproducts of it is it it makes you feel better physically, but worse mentally. Which Mm -hmm. I don't know if that payoff is worth it. Mm -hmm. So... I'm on prednisone currently because I was developing a lupus flare-up and I wanted to kind of catch it before something bad happened, right? My first lupus flare-up ever, I ended up in the hospital for a long time and it was really horrible. So my rheumatologist put me on this steroid. Now, prednisone, I wasn't expecting this. So I I knew to expect to feel a little bit irritable 
Mm-hmm. Like Shane and I were joking about it being roid ragey. But then when I decreased... I wasn't joking. No, I no, I know that. But making light of it, right? Uh, I was. Something that was <laughs> I mean, I was. <laughs> no, but we were making light of something that was happening. But then when I started decreasing, because you have to wean off of this steroid, I started to get really feel manic for the first mm-hmm. time in my life and i've never felt like that before i is manic not a good feeling mania when you're going through that state isn't oh. it somewhat euphoric i've had none of the good euphoric feelings i can tell oh, you the that. come down of mania you were kind of you were getting more so i don't know i don't even know when i had like the good mania it's just all of a sudden kind of yesterday i was feeling it i i, I lowered my dose two days ago and yesterday i was kind of feeling it and then today it hit me like a ton of bricks and i have it's 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 depression like mm-hmm. i've never had depression and i feel why well, i had postpartum anxiety and this is very similar but with more sadness and anger there wasn't anger with my postpartum anxiety but i'm feeling all of those things right now and it's like little things are making my entire body quake with rage and i don't use that lightly like i i've was you know just going about my business parenting today in fact i've never heard you say quake so (laughs) but little things were making me so angry and i was i knew that i shouldn't get so angry about them so i was trying to keep it in because i mean there's no point in being irrational but it was making me feel physically sick the the things that would just irritate me i was feeling physically sick and i was like shaking and i'd have to leave the room and kind of compose myself but even just thinking about it right now, like I feel like I feel like vomiting. Like this feeling has been so awful, and I feel so guilty. Why guilt? Well, because I've in my head been like so mad at you today. I snapped. I really lashed out at my mom. What were you mad at me for? Little things like okay, so one big thing that I was mad at myself today was that like Shane and I had a busy work day. And I felt really bad for Lou. She was just extra energetic today and she really wanted to play. And uh, that was kind of secondary to what we had to do. And then I started feeling really guilty about that. And when she started to act out, it was because she wanted attention. And I felt bad because I wasn't giving it to her. And it was she was acting out because of me. And then I saw you with the girls and then you were on your phone at one point. And then, and you know, like the, it's work stuff. Like we're always doing work stuff. And then that made me feel so sick that it was like neither one of us could I kind don't of remember focus being on my phone when me. when you were on the couch and I was getting my dinner ready when you were on the couch with Betty and Lou total robes on like this thing like she was decompressing after dinner oh yeah the, it was we the were last... having screen time yeah I, I wasn't on my phone no, all day that's I, what I was gonna say no I know and that's the thing and this is where the irrationality comes from and it's like we were having 10 minutes of screen time before bedtime Lucy got to watch Totoro she wanted to watch and she was just vegging out on the couch like she didn't even want your attention at that point but then I felt so sick because I felt so guilty for not giving her my undivided attention throughout the day so that was a culmination of my feelings for me and it was it was just awful and then when you and I were trying to get through some work today I for the most part enjoyed it and I know you have a different perspective of it but there were points where I just felt so enraged just so enraged and I just I feel very guilty for everybody in the family right now because I think I've impacted every single person in a different way yeah I wish I could say it was because of you but I've been feeling this way for a little bit and it's 
I think it's because I took this week off work and I worked harder probably with the week off than I would have if I was working at work. So this just has me thinking, when am I going to get a vacation? How am I going to relax on a vacation? Have I forgot how to relax? And I'm wondering, what's the point of this all? Like, if we do all these side hustles and side things that we do and work so hard, we're above comfortable. Mm -hmm. But if we stop them, we're below comfortable, just on a financial level. Mm -hmm. But doing all these things makes me uncomfortable in another way, which is that it feels like there's always a pedal to the metal and I'm always going and I'm not relaxing. So it's like, what, what is the payoff? Where Where's the line? And I think the answer is there needs to be a vacation or something to look forward to that's more than a date night, which we've yeah. also made a work night. <laughs> it, mind you, it is fun. Yeah. But I mean, there there has to be something where it's longer than a couple of hours of break. And I haven't had that. And it's coming up on a year. March 11th will be the year when we started all this. And even before then, I was I was going pretty hard, mm-hmm. which we I had a lot of projects I was working on. Somehow during quarantine, it amped up a little bit. And I'm feeling the effects now. And I'm wondering what the point to it all is. Well, I think it amped up because our office is at home and especially our work together. So we're never leaving the office. It's always on our mind. We never put our bag down, turn off the computer for the day and go because Shane will be sitting on the couch like this happens frequently. We'll be sitting on the couch and we hear you, your computer getting work emails like this will happen at 10 o'clock at night. And we're both in the mode where we both want to know and keep abreast of things and check on things and get back to people. So that makes it difficult. Having your office at home makes it difficult. Good, I think, if say there was more balance to the day and Maybe the kids were getting it or we had a time. I was wondering if there's a time that we need to just say, okay, for this, you know, 45 minutes, we are going to be only with the kids or we're doing something family oriented for this 45 minutes where we're not looking at our phones. We're not talking about work, nothing solely about the kids and having fun as a family. And then at nighttime, post eight o'clock nothing to do with work or something we're not working past eight and it's still not helping what i'm saying is that's not enough a few hours doesn't isn't doing anything for me i need a prolonged break and i don't see it happening and i, I don't know what to do but hey i'm sure a lot of people are are going through some sort of version mm-hmm. of this so i don't know i don't know well we are going away we just booked a few days away in March. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so there it we is. booked. But do you know what? What's scaring me? What? Is that there's all these work projects that are happening in March and shoots. And I'm feeling guilty like if I book a week off to go away for your birthday that they're going to think I'm running away from them or something. You're also going away for your mental health, which I think has been clearly established right now. And which is what we're talking about. And so the two tend to coincide, us needing a mental health break and also my birthday well i hope all the higher-ups at my work are listening to this podcast <laughs> this is a cry for help no but you know we we're gonna have a change of scenery in march we're gonna go and we're gonna move our office to our cottage office but yeah after that shane we're going to pec which is our fun zone and a place that just has super great memories and a great vibe some of our favorite restaurants and we rented out the sweetest looking pad. So 
that's going to be such a nice break for us. Are you excited to be hanging with a fun guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the party doesn't start till I walk in the door at PEC. Yeah. I feel bad for you talking about guilt. Like, your only person to hang with is me. Well, your only person to hang with is me, Shane. You're roid rage. You're still more pleasant to be around than me. You've got <laughs> steroids pulsing through your veins. Yeah, you're just saying that to be nice because I had an awful day. And I think you're trying to make me feel better. And it's working. So thank you. But okay. Shane, honestly, you know, I think that this is just something that so many people are feeling in different ways. And I think maybe it took a little bit to catch up with us. And I do want to do our damnedest to get out of it because this is an awful way to feel. And hopefully with me coming down from the roids and getting this medication out of my system and feeling back to normal, hopefully I can be the equalizer and then, you know, set a good foundation again. I hope so. But I also have another topic. It's milk bags. Now, we were talking about milk bags in our episode with scummy mummies. <laughs> Just milk bags is funny. Milk bags, yes. How in Canada we have milk bags. Or so I thought. Turns out only Ontario, Quebec, and the Maritime provinces have milk bags, which kind really? of, which surprised me. I was contacted by someone to say, don't think that it's just a Canadian thing because I'm Canadian and I've never had a milk Where bag. Where are they from? They're from BC. Interesting. So he doesn't have milk bags. He also sent along an article. So why milk bags are in Canada? It's because of the metric system. Canada's conversion to the metric system in the 1970s meant dairy producers needed to replace and resize existing milk containers, which measured in imperial quarts. Retrofitting assembly lines or replacing heavy glass bottles was an expensive prospect for the milk industry, and milk bags, which they were already experimenting with, could easily and cheaply be adjusted. Changing a one-quart bag to 1.3-liter bag was relatively painless, so three-quart bags of milk quickly became four-liter bags across parts of Canada. However, bags fell out of popularity once large plastic jugs became cheaper. <laughs> Eventually, milk bags became unheard of in provinces like Alberta or British Columbia, which is where the person contacted me from. Ontario has remained an exception. For decades, regulation in Ontario restricted the sale of more than one pint or about 473 milliliters of milk in containers other than plastic film pouches, aka bags. To sell milk in four-liter plastic jugs, a retailer or producer had to implement a deposit or recycling <laughs> system for those products, and some stores did so. Consumers could buy milk jugs at those retailers if they paid a deposit for the jug at the store. Bags did not have this restriction, so mainstream grocery stores and milk producers stuck to the bags for the most part. This explains why Ontario grocers almost exclusively provided large quantities of milk in bags. The Ontario regulation was amended in mid-2018, but consumer habits can take decades to break, so expect to keep seeing white, jiggly milk bags <laughs> at your local grocery store for years to come, at least in Ontario. Now, white jiggly milk bags, you are talking about milk from cows and not Betty's nickname from me, right? I know you're trying to cheer me up with humor, but unfortunately, that is just not funny enough to make me laugh. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. I know that's not funny, but every single time you said milk bags, even though nobody's called me milk bags before, but in my mind, I just kept... It kept feeling like you were talking about me because I feel like my nickname is milk bags. That's well, all I feel like some days. <laughs> okay, milk bags. Do you have any topic? I mean, I think that this isn't fun. This isn't a party. As is life. This happens. 
it sucks and you know I want to get out of this feeling with you but I think it's going to take more than a podcast intro to do that and I think that's okay and I think that we can here's where I disagree with you oh I think it could be this podcast intro that's the catalyst for change so let's work it out right now what what can we do how can I get this break that I so desire well we're getting into March okay there you have it okay See, look, that's all I needed. So I think I need a week to where it's we're off or somewhere else, but there's no other job lingering, no social media thing. I need to just throw money at someone to do it for us. Any podcast obligations we have just for a week so I can reset. I feel like I'm going through exhaustion. Mm-hmm. So do you remember how good we felt when we spent that time right after Betty was born? We went to the cottage. You were off work. We did pay somebody to do our social media and to throw out, you know, to do editing for us and whatnot. And we really didn't do much. If we could do that, but less, as in not even, you know, not not do mm-hmm. anything. And I think that would feel so good. That would feel yeah. so good. And honestly, like go just we'll go and do just fun things every day and do adventures and not think about stuff that's weighing us down not think about money not think about obligations and just try to have fun because you need a week because it takes a couple days to get that out of your system to allow yourself to relax relaxing can be hard and you are a person who gets so caught up into work into the rat race into just always trying to strive to be better in that regard and in your in in your work and in what you do that for you relaxing comes so unnaturally so you really have to try at it and i i think that is what needs to happen just a full week spread very thin right Mm now but uh yeah um should we get to our first interview sorry uh what what, what's the what's the face about (laughs) no no nothing the face about anything it's just funny what's funny well just the opening and the interview that we're going to is full of so much love and positivity so it's just a funny contrast it was a simpler time when we were conducting this interview you know Mm -hmm. before the exhaustion set in yes this was at a point where i was feeling good this was a day i felt great i wasn't on steroids you weren't on steroids which is always good But yeah, before we get to this interview, let's tell everyone who we are supported by. We are supported by Mabel's Labels. Frustrated by their children's things getting lost, mixed up, or leaving home never to return, Julie Cole and three other mom friends knew they could do better than just scribbling names on masking tape. So from there, the idea for an amazing product was born. The very best personalized waterproof name labels and tags that are so cute and equally durable. We love them because as parents, it helps us keep things more organized. And Lucy loves them because some of her labels are in the shape of hearts. She has hedgehogs. She has cherries. They're very, very adorable and customizable. Their line of products features baby bottle labels, allergy and medical alert products, sports labels, household labels, and seasonal items. The best thing is that they are are extremely durable. They're laundry, dishwasher, and microwave safe and 100% guaranteed. And Lucy's beginning to recognize her name now, which is just an added benefit. Yeah, it's really sweet. And you can head on over to mableslabels.ca to start creating your very own labels and use our promo code thisfamilytree15 for 15% off your order. They deliver internationally and they offer free standard shipping in Canada and the US. Again, that's mableslabels.ca and thisfamilytree15. But now let's get to our interview with Burton and Dustin. Are you both ready? 
let me stretch a little bit. <laughs> go, go for it. I, I kind of need to do that beforehand. I was up all night long with a baby that won't sleep. So forgive hey. that. <laughs> no, no. But Burton how, and how old is the baby? She's just about seven months, and I have to re-sleep train her. Mm. So I actually have him sleeping in a different room right now, just so that I can like let her cry oh, in sure. the night. Yeah, blame it on the baby. <laughs> I need this in my veins. Like I need to be hooked up to a coffee IV right now. It's awful. <laughs> but you look amazing. You don't yeah. look tired at all. It's good ring light. Thank you. But Burton and Dustin, thank you so much for sitting down with us on this Family Tree podcast today. We're so excited to have you here. So, of course, you're both hits on Instagram. You are huge with raising buffaloes on YouTube, and you are the adopt adoptive fathers to an adorable set of twins. So congrats on your success. You guys are so much fun to follow around on YouTube, on Instagram. And first off the top, is Burton B. Buffalo a real name or is this a stage name? Good question. <laughs> yes, it is, it is a real name and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an old family name. So the world is comprised of different family names. But yeah, it's a real name. It sounds strange, I guess, but it's a... That sounds great. Yeah. It sounds too good. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of BBBs in his family. Yeah, right. he's Burton Banks Buffalo, and then there's like Burl, Burl Burton Buffalo, and yeah. then there's Betty, Be Betty Buffalo. I mean, there's a lot of Bs. Like, yeah. We like the alliteration. And so, when you're deciding the last names for your children, how did you decide on Buffalo? It's way so, cooler than Smith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's, it's a unique name. I mean, there's uh, I only know of, of of one. You know, I mean, there's uh, there's a, a couple of families that have this name, but there's not many of them. there's not many of them out there. And so you know, it's, it's very unique to to us. And so uh, it's uh, you know, we wanted that to, to kind of be with the kids. Mm -hmm. I've, been, I've been trying to get him to change his last name. <laughs> Would you ever? Yeah, you know, it's funny. The other day, our son was you know talking to me, and he said, you know. He, there's a big B on the wall and he goes, what's that B stand for? I'm like, well, Buffalo. And he goes, you don't have Buffalo. And I said, yeah, I know. I've been thinking about adding Buffalo to my name. Would you like that? And he said, yeah, I want us all to be twins. So, That's that was, so cute. You yeah. never told me that. Oh, I'm telling you now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I do think it's sweet and it's funny because so we're from Canada, right? And it's in Quebec, women keep their own last names but of course we're not in Quebec we're in like outside of Toronto but I was wondering like do I take Shane's last name at marriage and I was like yeah because we want to we want it to be like a team a team although of you Cunningham's. never use my last name ever well because more people in the city know me by my maiden right. name okay but officially yeah we're like the last name team yeah but I think I was stealing your question sorry babe how did you meet now I know the story it was it was at a party but then you were friends for five years. I just want to know how that all shook out. If you could explain. Yeah, well, longer than longer than five years, I guess. Of course, I'm, we're, we're both horrible at math. So um, yeah, <laughs> our poor children. Oh yes, yeah, so, <laughs> they're going to teach us math. <laughs> Every time I need to add and subtract, I just talk to Google. To oh, hang oh, on. hey Google, stop. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. He's telling me what ten plus five was. <laughs> So yeah, we met at a party and we had always been, we had just, we became friends. And so yeah. we were friends for the longest time in, in similar friend circles, right? Yeah. So I think we've been, we were friends for what, 10, 10 years or no. 10 years at least. I mean, it was, oh, it was, yeah. Again, again, horrible at math. No, so no, no. So 2005 ish to yeah. 2012 or 13. So yeah, almost like eight, nine years. <laughs> 
So we always knew of each other and saw each other out. And, you know, I always thought that Burton was incredibly handsome and hopefully he thought I was the same. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and then things just changed. Like we both were single at this at the same time and he was brave enough to come up and, and tell me that he was single and that I should take him out on a date. (laughs) And I did. Now I'm a very fast mover. Like when after the first date with Alex, we were engaged six months later and yeah. married that that summer. How fast do you move? So uh, well, you have to keep in mind this was we were in our 30s then, and mm-hmm. so we have been through rounds of of, uh, of of dating and you know and exploring you know who who that perfect soulmate would be. You know those those criteria, right? It was you had to you had he had to want a family. There's other life goals that that you needed out there. So you were absolutely, and when you're, when you're that old, you're kind of just checking the boxes saying, I need, these are the minimum criteria. And so we, once we, you know, of course, then there's the love aspect that comes into it. But, uh, you know, this was, you know, this was, you know, this was, you know, we, we moved, I wouldn't say pretty quick. I mean, we, we, we started dating in February and then by that December we were engaged. Right. Yeah. Like it was like we dated for about close to a year and then, and then I proposed to him and then we were engaged for a year. But we, I think that it went fast for us because we knew each other. You know, I think a lot of times when you're dating people, you're trying to remove the layers to kind of really get to know someone. I think a lot of times when you first date someone and you don't know them, like you're meeting them on Tinder, you know, we always show the person that we want people to see. And that might not necessarily be who you really are and vice versa. So Burton and I knew each other at the core. You know, yeah. we were friends for so long that it kind of bypassed a lot of that. You know, the skeletons in the closet. Yeah. You know, all the mistakes and kind of things you hear around town. Because we're, I mean, we're in the same community. So you hear a lot of the same same things and a pretty small community. community. Which I had none. I don't know. Me either. Just no, I mean, and, th- and there really was, was none, but you still know. I mean, that, and that's also, you know, uh, that, that proves a point that there's, you know, you would have known of something that was a challenge or, you know, a barrier to this relationship. So, yeah. But, but you said you were in your 30s then. Don't tell me you're, you're there's no way you're in your 40s. That was my question. Yeah. yeah. No. Well, so, I, turned, I turned 40 this year and you're 40. I'm 41. How? <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> again, again, it's the ring light. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I gotta buy that one. We're, we live in a very humid climate. There's lots of oh mixture. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, we we need to get down to North Carolina. It's a little uh, yeah, it's too dry up here. But you know, so you were friends for so long. You met, you got engaged. You eventually, obviously, got married. Now, I want to kind of get into your parenting journey. Did you, for both of you, did you always want to be parents? Yeah. yeah. So you know, I think I always. I grew up in an extremely conservative, evangelical Christian upbringing. And so early on, being that that was kind of my growing up, like I I didn't think that that was going to be something I could have. I never thought I would ever be married. I never thought I would have a family. And as I became like older and I started becoming more comfortable in my own skin, there's something to be said when you've kind of already adopted the idea of that not happening you just it kind of stays with you, even though you become comfortable in your own skin. Mm-hmm. You think mm, there's probably a chance I'm not going to have a family, even though it's something that I always desired. It really wasn't until I met Burton that I could see that because he early on, right? You always knew you wanted. I always knew I wanted a, uh, to, to have a family. I mean, from very early childhood, it was you know in my core. You know, I always begged my parents to have more kids and siblings just because I loved having kids. 
around. And, um, you know, and as I, I, you know, really struggled with that going, you know, as I started to know that I was gay and I, and I knew that wasn't, um, you know, at that point in time, you have to keep in mind, this is the, you know, uh, this is the mid nineties. And there was, there was no role models at that time when I, when I'm, when I'm discovering myself, no role models that were, that had kids. Right. I think, you know, maybe in the, as you get to the late night, late nineties, there was, mm-hmm. um, it was Dawson's Creek. I don't know if you even know what that is. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it had a gay guy on it and maybe some gay characters. And then also like Will and Grace came around, but still they didn't have kids. So there was no role models that really showed that, that, um, you know, someone is, is me going who is going to live a gay man that could have a family. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of depression around that, but I always still wanted it. And I don't think mm-hmm. there's anything that could have stopped me. And, and that's actually why, you know, my, my, my last relationship before Dustin, it was a long-term relationship. And that's why part of that too is there was no um hope for 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 kids uh um in, in that relationship so i just mm-hmm. really needed to, to to move on and, and, and you know find my true soulmate and my true partner with uh who, who i would want to raise a family with mm-hmm. and and, <laughs> and you guys are you know you're from the south and i do know that there are so many things that are still contentious and they shouldn't be and growing up gay and knowing that you know you could possibly want to have a family in your case or you know thinking that it wasn't even in dustin's case really an option what what was the perception within your own families in your own circles of friends if you would see a gay character if you did know somebody that was gay like what was a what what did you live with really so, yeah, I mean, like, my my family has always struggled with me being gay, and that's kind of been this heavy weight on my shoulders, even to the point that I didn't even invite them to our wedding because they were not 100%, you know, supportive. And I knew that I didn't want anyone standing there watching us, you know, exchange vows. To yeah, each very, other. very, very intimate thing. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't 100% supportive, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know... Yeah, living in the South has has been hard because it is, you know, um, extremely religious and incredibly conservative to more traditional lifestyles and and values and and setups of families. But, you know, I think that definitely has made a mark on us. But I also think that's why we have been so vocal and we have put ourselves out there Mm -hmm. to really show people that gay people exist and if you want a husband you can have a husband or a wife if you're a female if you're a lesbian and um, if you want children that's a possibility because we wanted to set this example for people and change people's you know perspectives of what a gay family could look like and do you feel that has changed from when you were a teenager like the the outlook that people have uh, absolutely. I mean, social media has done a huge turn on this, I think. You know, we started having more more TV shows as reality shows came around. You started seeing more more gay characters and then eventually started seeing more gay characters with families. And uh, I think Modern Family had, you know, even had a kid in there. So it's just kind of, you kind of, sh- you know, showcasing that a little bit. But still there was these uh, typical gay characters, right? There were, you know, it could be flamboyant. It could be, you know, you know, portrayed in any other way. But, you know, social media opened that door up for every single type of family um, to showcase, you know, who they are and how they and how they raise their kids. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't have to be boxed into what you see on the sitcom. It is it is literally every single color, you know, not to be too gay, but every single color of the rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot, Even with the, the gay community, there's a lot of diversity in there and how you're raising a family. No matter what, it's, it's beautiful. And, yeah. and it really comes down to, you know, to love and how you show your, your kids love, right? And um, it doesn't matter who, what your fa- family dynamic is, as long as your kids 
feel secure and safe and loved. Yeah, I think for, uh, social media, like I think people look at the good sides and bad sides of social media. But one thing that is really valuable to social media is really taking down the barriers and the walls. You know, before social media, we were only exposed to our own communities, you know, and in our neighborhoods and the values that you see in, in every community across the world is very, very different. And then all of a sudden, you're now exposed to so many different types of people and different ways of life and other thinkings. And so it's really broadened people's view, which has been, I think, for me, especially being a gay man and seeing other gay families or, you know, gay couples, that has been really enlightening and, and helpful. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, I and I think that's a great point. But I think it also comes down to how we consume social media, right? And I mean, people can get caught up in their own bubbles and echo chambers. And like I was too, I really started looking at how I consume social media this year. And I was like, yeah, everybody is like a white mom. And it was just so flat. So I really tried to, I started following fat influencers and get, you know, their perspective on body image and body positivity and black influencers, so many. And there's so many people worthy of that credit and worthy of those examples. And, you know, it's up to us to kind of curate that into our lives. So accounts like yours are like fantastic and I'm so glad to see that so many people are bringing that into their lives because it is such an important perspective and you know I think about so you guys wanting families again getting back to that family journey yeah. I know that the process for adoption can be much more difficult if you are gay parents however you went through surrogacy correct that's right so yeah okay. we went through surrogacy yeah and honestly you know part of being in the south <laughs> influence that decision making yeah. because during the time where we live in North Carolina, we were dealing with a lot of things. I don't know if you remember HB2, the whole bathroom bill that was passed yeah. and we kind of made world news. And that was mm -hmm. that was here that was in, like, our, that in our state. That's the hi highlight of our state. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there were some other, you know, at the time, like our governor was, you know, not really, just didn't have LGBTQ plus members and backs. And you know, at that before at that time too, we weren't able to legally marry. They had not, the Supreme Court had not made that ruling. And actually North Carolina had made a step backwards and they were trying to pass a bill that would make it completely illegal. Yeah. So we, when we knew that we wanted to start a family, we looked into adoption, but adoption can take a long time. And we were in our late thirties or, you know, like mid to late thirties. And when we were thinking, you know, it might be easier if we just took control and went the surrogacy route because we wouldn't have to be waiting on a million other people in that sense of like giving us the okay to to kind of walk that line. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that control is important. I mean, you know, when you look at some of the recent legislation that could be, or you know, the last administration that could be passed to even prevent our community from from adopting. You know, you just never know what's going to happen and what executive order is going to be passed down that all of a sudden you are blocked at any point in time. And you could be halfway through a process and then have to, to start over again, just depending on, you know, somebody and their, you know, and their views on the world. And that's just that's really unfortunate, but that's the world we live in. So we we definitely wanted that control. Yeah. yeah. And so we went to a fertility clinic just actually to pick their brain to find out, yeah. like, what would it be about what it was like? And we left that meeting saying okay, I think this is it because we were completely open. We were open to foster adoption and surrogacy. 
And after seeing, like, you know, talking to them, we were like, I think this is for us. It was also due to, it was a, it's a clinic we went to, and it was also due to their warm, their warm welcome to us. You know, when you can tell when you walk in, you know, if they have walls up or if they're going to embrace you with open arms. And immediately they were like, you know, this, yeah. is, this is amazing. And all of the, the staff was like, this is great. And they were kind of cheering you on in the background. And that, and that mindset and and experience carried through the entire journey that we went on through surrogacy, right? Yeah. I mean, they were like, during during the time we were even doing our, our egg retrieval and doing the IVF stuff, they were all clapping for us as walking in, in and out yeah. of the board, like, you know, good, good luck, best of luck. And especially when we knew we had kids on the way, this was like, it was like a huge hurrah. You know? yeah. Yeah. So it was just, you know, they were, it was, it was beautiful. And so if we would have been walked into a, a place that did not act like that, or did yeah, not, we would have left. Now you were both the the donors and excuse my ignorance on this and i'm no scientist but you have twins so is it one of your sperm that connected and made the twins or was it one twin each is that even possible (laughs) modern science is is wonderful and the process we went through and we had an egg donor an anonymous egg donor who donated eggs and when you go through surrogacy part of the process is providing the, the amazing angel who's donating to you with a lot of different hormones and stuff and so she is able to produce a lot more eggs than usual and so usually they come out with, you know, uh, like we had 10, we, we had, had 10 viable, eggs. so viable eggs. I mean, I think she had like 18 and then at the end there was 10 viable eggs. And then, so they, what they did is have both of us donate sperm and then they implanted half of the, the viable eggs with his DNA and half with mine. Wow. And, and so, and then they watched the development of those. And yeah. then they took the, the best one um, of mine, the best one of Burton's. And then they implanted those two eggs or fertilized wow. eggs into our gestational carrier. So the way that we went, because I know this is really confusing, Mm -hmm. we had a separate gestational carrier. So our egg donor was not who carried our child. That is a way, there are people that do that. Usually they are called a surrogate. Typical surrogates use their own egg and then you would fertilize their egg and then they would carry for you. And it was also because of where we live in North Carolina and the way that every state is very different by law, depending where you live, we felt it was safer this way to have a separate gestational carrier. So it was not her egg at all. We implanted the egg donor's egg within our DNA into our gestational carrier, mm-hmm. and that's who carried for us. Keeps a you know a, a good uh, you know clean separation. There's no there's no biological ties, and so there's yeah. no, no, no matter what happens in North Carolina, whatever curveballs they're, they're, they're slung at you, you are you know they're they're your kids, and in theory, no way she can come after the kids yeah. and say they're, they're mine. So, right, which could happen in certain states, and, and it has happened in yeah. certain states where yeah. you know, someone says like you know what I'm I'm just gonna you know and then that, at that point at that point you're dealing with dual custody. Of, of, That's of heartbreaking. Children. Can't even imagine that situation. But with the gestational character uh, carrier, sorry, uh, <laughs> she might have been a character. But uh, is she cool with twins right off the bat, or is it like, okay, I'll have a child, and then it's like, oh, by the way, they're twins? That was something we discussed early on. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like, what are you comfortable with? And she was totally fine with twins. And both Burton and I were like, please, please let yeah. there be twins, like this <laughs> one and done, and like yeah. you know. But you know, there's there's no guarantee. Tees, right so the only reason why we implanted two was because they said you implant two it's pretty much you're going to get one yeah. you know only one is going to take and you know you can do more but the thing is is the with the with the way that this is with modern medicine it's gotten so good like we all remember optimum right of course so that was back in the day when things were not as as good and so they were putting tons of fertilized eggs in so now when we were doing it, the standard was up to two. Yeah. 
now things since we've had kids since we've had our twins it's gotten even better and now the standard is only implanting the one yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's because of risky risky pregnancy you know our you know our babies actually came seven is it seven weeks early seven weeks early and so which is which is really scary and actually the water broke at nine weeks yeah, nine, nine weeks early, and so we—that was like a terrifying thing mm-hmm. of us being yeah. to the hospital yeah. to, to figure it out. And so you know, you know, any any uh, twin pregnancy is, is is more risky for both the mom and for and for the babies too. Mm-hmm. So you know, I don't need, there's no hard laws around this right now, but it's just good practice for any clinic to only operate under those guidelines. Just yeah, one right now. No, absolutely. Um, I have dreams, uh, nightmares about being an octo mom. I I'm, we too. have two yeah. kids and that's it for me. I'm calling it quits at two. And I think Shane is with me on that, but I'd you- like four actually. <laughs> and I'm going to have them no matter what. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in Canada, and I only learned this in the interviews that we do, but you cannot pay somebody yeah. for surrogacy in Canada. It really? has to be free. You can take care of their, you know, medical costs and things like that, but that's it. So when you guys found your surrogate, the person that was carrying your your twins, was that through an agency and it was like financial or was this somebody that you knew? The way that we went, we did not use an agency. There's agencies that are out there that will literally guide you through everything. They have a listserv of egg donors, gestational carriers, lawyers, all of these things. We went just the route of using the fertility clinic. Now they had a listserv of egg donors that they, you know, did psych evaluations and background checks and health history. They did not do the same for gestational carriers, but they did have a a list of people that said, these people are willing to carry if you Mm -hmm. want to call on them. Mm -hmm. So then Burton and I then called on people saying, hi, would you like to be pregnant with our twin, you know, or or their baby? And like, which is, which is, well, imagine the, the, the most awkward first date. Right. That's yeah. what, that's oh what God. this is. And because you're, you're sitting as uh, as us in the, in the, in the conversation, but not only that, it's, it's, the, it's the, the potential surrogate or gestational yeah. carrier and the husband. And so it's just a, it's, it's very uncomfortable. It's just a weird, yeah. uh, you know, you could hear a pin drop. It, it, there's, there's many times where you could hear a pin drop because none of us knew what to ask other than Googling, you know, yeah. Yeah. what do you ask a potential gestation? Because carrier? most of them, yeah. everyone that we interviewed had never done this before. Yeah. And okay. we first, the very, I remember the very first interview, we invited them to our house. And it was so uncomfortable. We were like, okay, maybe never, the next interview so. we go to a coffee shop. You know, so, <laughs> so if you if you were listening, never ever <laughs> bring to your because it's just a, it's, yeah. it's so awkward. Yeah, you don't you yeah. only yeah. kind of do it in a location. Probably. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you know, so you know, with us, we just you know we got better and better the more we interviewed, and we were more thoughtful after that first experience. And that was kind of the hard thing because we actually found a girl that we thought, okay, I think this is gonna be a great gestational carrier for us. We liked her, we liked her husband, we liked her kids and everything. And we had to then take her to have a psych evaluation right. and she didn't pass for some reason. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't know why, um, yeah. I, you know, it could have been because there would have been potential depression that would have come mm-hmm. with her because it's not just about, is she equipped, but it's also for her well being too. Yes. After, after doing this, is she going to be okay? Right. What, what are the, what are the reasons why she is doing this? You know, so right. there's all, there's always the financial component that's out there, but there could be some other reasons. And so that's mm-hmm. what the psych evaluation is, is trying to discover what those may be. And yeah. Yeah. 
And so, you know, and we were really sad about that. But, you know, then we found the the girl that we ended up using. So and she was perfect and amazing. And and they're still in our lives. You know, they uh, her family. She has three kids. They've been we were the first um, couple that she's ever done this for. They've been at every birthday party of our kids, you know, and they will always be a part of our lives. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important too, to be that transparent and, and open and honest with your kids. Right. So mm-hmm. she's, she is there and, you know, us, us showing our kids and saying, Hey, this is, this is not your mom, but mm-hmm. she is, she gave us a gift and she is, she, she carried you in, in her belly, you know, cause our kids ask all the time questions like, Hey, who, who carried us in, in her belly? And we have to keep reminding them yeah. that, you know, this, yeah. this is the beautiful lady who did it and she gave us a gift and you yeah. know, all these things. So it, with kids, everything's black and white. So you, when you tell them that they're like, oh, okay, that's, you know, all right, I get it. But, you know, if you wait till they're 11 and try to explain mm-hmm. it to them or, or, or a yeah. teenager, then they're like, this is weird. Like, well, you didn't have me in your belly. <laughs> yeah, <I know>. like, <laughs> it's, not, it's not such a shock. I think, you know, that's yeah. true. Like as we continue these conversations with our kids, it's something we can build upon mm-hmm. as they get older, as they have more awareness and understanding. And I think that's really important because we want to be very transparent with them. Yeah. And I, I think that is so good to build on tough topics like that so that there's always an understanding. And I'm a big advocate for using, you know, the real words for things like penis, like right. vagina, right. like, you know, whatever it is. But how did that first conversation go? And how old were your kids when you first had that like real discussion? Well, you know, somebody else carried you in their belly. I mean, probably maybe two years old two, yeah. because we were, you know, she was at our, their two year old birthday party and we're like, Hey, this is, you know, you know, this is Christina. And just reminding them that this is, you know, this is the person who, who carried you. And so she's, you know, and, and that happened too with, you know, she would visit, you know, in just random occasions. It didn't have mm-hmm. to be a birthday. We would explain to them afterwards, maybe not on the spot. But, yeah. But then again, yeah. it just, it's more like it goes right over their head. But, yeah, you know, the other day I was giving our kids a bath and they were talking to me about babies and where do babies come from? And I was explaining to them that boys don't have babies. Like boys can't carry babies in their belly and, and that it's a female or a woman. And, and my son was so upset. He was like, I want a baby. Oh, sorry, I'm just he was crying. like, he was, like, I know, he was really upset oh my about God, it. So and sad. I, He's like, I, I was like, well, you can still have a kid if you want to. Like, you know, like, we, you know, no matter what, no matter who you decide to have a child with or even doing it on your own, you know, daddy and papa, we couldn't carry a baby. And that's what we we had, you know, and then I, you know, explained about our gestational carrier and her having them for us, you know, yeah. so, you know, and I think that was like, now that they're four and a half, that was connecting more, obviously, yeah. than when they were two talking yeah. about it. So, yeah, I yeah. want to, you, you just mentioned daddy and papa, and I wanted to talk about mm-hmm. that for a bit, because it's obviously something that most parents never even have to think about. Mm-hmm. What are our children going to call us? Mommy, daddy, yep. tip in most cases. For you, how does that conversation go? And was there like a coin flip for who gets to be daddy? Or do you, like, he's, he's, you don't think he's a total papa? Like, he's papa. He's who I would have picked as you papa. Can, you can't but. tell how we're sitting, but he's, he's, a, he's a lot bigger than yeah. me. I'm leaning forward a lot more. <laughs> no, I mean, I, Burton really wanted to be called dad. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I was fine with papa. You know, here's the thing. He has to share dad with me because mm-hmm. no matter what, the, he, they have two dads, no. but I will always be their papa. So he has to share like, <laughs> the dads, you know, when people always defer to that name, like, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't a big deal for us. We do know friends and couples 
that have thought about this even after their kids were like two and they're still like trying to decide (laughs) who's gonna be dad who's gonna be papa i'm like it is that's shit to sell they're your kids are two you know like (laughs) the kids are off to college and they're like listen (laughs) i still don't know who to call you though yeah and we have really good friends too that they are you know daddy j and daddy you know know. just the first letter of their name kind Mm -hmm. of right separate a little bit right. of that so you know it, that wasn't a big deal for us it wasn't i'm sure it can be for other couples but we get along really well oh, we yeah. just like we work things out through. no i can tell <laughs> we're pretty, we're, we're stuff like that we're pretty easy like i don't yeah. know i don't i would never fight over you can call me whatever you want just, mm-hmm. as, just as long as it's daddy <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to get into next. Uh, you guys are making these transitions really easy for me, but work, working together and mm-hmm. having disagreements. I find Alex and I, before we started working together on this podcast and social media, we would argue about things around the house. Now we never argue about anything really except for the work itself, which is things surrounding the business. Do you find that? And how, how do you get through an argument or a disagreement? So, yeah, so, I mean, we really have never had a true blowout big fight. I mean, we, we argue now, um, you know, just to, you know, and it is more so about work because we do a lot. We are blurring the lines now between work and especially now with COVID, right? You're, so you're like, yeah. you're stuck in the same environment and you're kind of figuring <laughs> those things out. But even before that, I mean, we kind of, uh, you know, agreed on, on, on those things. I mean, yeah. we, we are... Uh, I'm I'm really fortunate, and I hate to say it because it just sounds like it's sounds like you're just boasting about this stuff. But we are true partners, and so whatever I am not great at, he always picks up. He just knows and knows when I need um, I need a break or I need time or yeah. he needs to pick up that stuff. Versus you know the same thing with with him. I, hopefully I do that with you. I, it's I true. Know. Like I like yeah. we're you know we are not perfect people. We both have been in relationships where it wasn't this weird yin and yang. And not that necessarily that those relationships were bad or wrong, but with our case, we just happened to find our perfect match. You know, mm-hmm. like he loves paying bills. And it's Christmas, <laughs> it's Christmas morning every day when he goes to the mailbox. I, I would die. Like that sounds like a freaking nightmare to me. You know, he I, loves, I love a spreadsheet. I mean, this is what I, I like. hate a spreadsheet. You know, like, <laughs> I am, you know, I'm the cook. He is not the cook. Like if he was the cook, we would eat scrambled eggs for every single What's meal. wrong with breakfast for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> breakfast for dinner is amazing. Who doesn't love breakfast? But like, you know, we do, but we have our moments, right? Mm-hmm. We have twins, we're tired, we're exhausted, we're both working. So we do snap at each other. Mm-hmm. Like we are, you know, but we just, we always come back to communication. And I think that's uh, it's so cliche, but it's so true. It's always about communicating. And mm-hmm. if I feel like I need space or I need him to do something that he's not doing, I mm-hmm. tell him and he's open and he's receptive. And so I think it's just about being, you know, very in tune with each other and knowing that there's always this base of love and, you know, we're always going to be each other's cheerleaders. Yeah. And so when we have to kind of say something to each other that might not be pleasant, it's all coming from a place of love and not from trying to, you know, destroy each other and, yeah. and nitpick each other. Yeah, because I think there are relationships that are like that, but this, we have a healthy, mm-hmm. we have a pretty healthy relationship. Well yeah. said. I was going to try to add something to you. you know. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's so important. And, you know, I think that's something that a lot of people can lose sight on in their anger is, you know, whatever they say, having it come from a place of love sometimes, but that is so important. But I was going to ask, so, you know, you are working together we're doing all this crap from home because of covid it's tough we're parenting we have date nights at home we're working at home 
it's hard to separate and especially when you are working in social media because you're inviting people into your home every day so how did you guys make the decision to kind of chronicle your journey as parents as fathers on social media it was by accident yeah, to be honest right. with so, you yeah i think like we were just excited about having kids i think like just, every parent is like i mean that's what's so funny about this is we never said you know what let's be influencers like yeah, that was never a discussion it was ever. never we never had a, had a business plan and came up with, <laughs> came up with this thing, right it just really is, is like you're just any proud parent like everyone does out there in the world post pictures of their kids and saying look at my beautiful family and this yeah. is for nana and grandpa and all the people in your family to, to see and like and share and then things just just you know, grew like we started having a lot of yeah it started growing and that's when the discussion started to happen right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. then we had to decide you know why are we do, like is this why are we doing this this is becoming a thing where people are really interested in our lives and we felt like it was important that we do share our lives because we get endless emails endless mm-hmm. messages of people yeah, saying that you guys i'm so inspired by you like i you know dreamed about having a family and I've, you know, the only families that I've seen with gay couples are like, you know, you got these, obviously the celebrity gay couples that have kids and endless resources and we're just average Dustin and Burton and we're right. doing it. And so between that and then, you know, our, like how we like us sharing our lives on YouTube and talking about our coming out stories and how that's helped people. And we get emails of people saying, because of this video, I had the courage to come out to my family, oh, you know, so things like that. So it's way bigger picture that we feel like we, you know, felt like we needed to do this to to be a uh, not a role model because I don't want to say that it? we're a role model, but it feels like when this feels like you're a perfect person. And you're from, so we're, not, we're not at all. So not but but we but, we want to be a, re- a resource, right? We right. want to sh- to showcase not just for uh, for for the gay community, but also for for the for the entire world, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, straight couples who reach out. Maybe the, the wife or, or, you know, shows their husband all the time and, and that, that husband will reach out to us and saying, you guys really opened my eyes to what a gay couple is. And, you know, yeah. having, mm-hmm. you know, having a family, raising a family. I've never seen this before, but I love your Instagram. This is amazing showing this. And I love your YouTube. Or even yeah. blurring the lines of like roles. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's with a couple, you know, you, we don't have this mommy daddy role with kids, right, where you have the stereotypical roles. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you watch our videos and we are just 50 50 on everything, you know, like we're both the ones that are taking care of them if they stub their knees or, you know, you stub a knee. <laughs> you can <laughs> say, you know, if you, you hit it on a drawer. <laughs> I'm, tell you I'm glad you said that. <laughs> um, but, but you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah, and I think it's really been eye-opening to some other couples that are like, I want to step it up. I don't think I'm giving yeah. my wife. Mm-hmm enough free time because I, I kind of lean on her to take care of the kids while I'm you know doing this or doing that and you yeah. guys just do it all so I think that's really important too and just being a resource for people who want to go along a, a surrogacy journey or, or you know a, you know even a, even adoption so because we we've you know we've investigated those things too and have a large pool of resources but we on a weekly basis people reach out and want to know about our process want to learn a little more um, we hop on zoom calls like this or conference calls and really yeah. help them out I'm very transparent, sharing exactly everything about our journey and cost and everything included, you know, with anyone who needs to who needs to hear it, because we didn't really have that going into this. We did all the legwork ourselves and didn't have anybody who was who was helping us along the way. So um, any mistakes that we made, I want to be able to share that to somebody or not just mistakes, just, you know, details in general that you may not be thinking about to share with folks. And 
it, you know, there's a lot of people in, in our community, in the gay community, who may not necessarily, they may have grown up like us, who didn't think that having a family was even an option. And so when they see that this is, that this works and this, that this is an option, they say, wow, you really, I'm, I'm watching you guys on YouTube and I really want to, to follow the same journey, even though I never, ever wanted to just, mm-hmm. you know, you guys have sparked something in me that, uh, you know, that, that instinct to be a parent, um, where I really, I really want to, um, you know, explore that journey a little more. Yeah. 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 I'm going to give the next question to Shane so I can go up and change a diaper, but there's one thing that you said before <laughs> I go and do that. I could hear her daughter yelling at me. Um, <laughs> you know, you said that, well, I maybe not role models. And I do think that you are great role models. And I want to start separating role models from the idea that they have to be perfect because nobody is perfect. That is impossible. Humans are flawed. Role models are flawed. And if we keep holding our role models to this ideal and they can't be touched, then we're going to have no more role models left because everybody is going to come down at at some point. And we need to kind of break that. I'll be back in a minute. All right. (laughs) That was more of a statement from Alex, I guess, and less of a question. (laughs) But uh, what I where where I was about to head was, Dustin, I know you were running a salon beforehand. Is there any fear uh, or trepidation of what that's going to look like uh, in terms of your social media account when you do go back to the salon? Or are you thinking about not even going back? That's a funny question because mm-hmm. I just finished my last day of work at the salon this past Friday. So I own a salon. I've owned it for 13, going on 14 years. Wow. And, you know, I was doing that. I do a lot of education with hair care brands, started, you know, doing stuff as an influencer. And before COVID happened, I was working nonstop. You know, I was flying all over the world and, you know, I was in Canada once a month for the shopping channel and I was just working a ton and and Burton was too, like with his, his career. And we became this couple that we were like, are you okay? If we're like, you know, I'm going to be out of the country, but you'll be here. And then the next week, You'll be out of the country, but I'll be here for our kids. And it's just like, and then COVID happened, mm-hmm. and it was like a really, it's the silver lining. It was like it was like, it, it was like the, the eye of a hurricane almost. And I hope there's not there's, mm-hmm. the, the hurricane staying still for a long time. But it really was, as you know, the really cool and calm, peaceful. Like, oh my gosh, the the world stopped spinning for a minute. And what were we doing? You know, like what we were going to like, that was not a way to raise our kids. Like we, you know, we want to be very involved, and so. That stuff, that hard stop with COVID, it was hard. Obviously, I'm a salon owner and like I had to close down my salon and I have employees that, you know, need to make a living. Personally, though, it really put a lot of perspective, right? And I want to be more present. I want to be with my kids more. And Burton and I, through this whole COVID process, decided, you know, we had purchased his family's farm. And we are going to develop this farm into um, our next business. I'll still own my salon, but I'm taking a, a pause from it. The thing is, is I've been incredibly blessed. That fact that I can do a lot of these other things and still be home with my kids. Yeah. And that to me is important. Doing hair really kind of pulls me away from my children. And when you're working with clients, you're kind of chained to that chair. So you know, I'm taking a, like a leave of absence right now from my business so I can kind of 
focus on this family business and do something that's going to be with my family and something that we could run together and have our children grow up running around chasing alpacas and helping us you know with the beehives and yeah. all of that and that's really super dreamy to us so yeah we want to create a, a legacy for sure and you know this is a, a special property that i grew up on and i learned a lot of my work ethic and a lot of the skills i have in life from growing up on the farm and really found value and being raised there. And not, not only that, but as a kid, it's just, it's just freaking fun. You're just, you, you have, you know, you know, a hundred acres to run around on and, uh, and, you know, and, and play and explore and build forts and do whatever you want to do all day long. And so it's just, it's an unlimited, it's an unlimited type of playground. And so it was just, um, it's an amazing experience rather than where we are now just sandwiched in between, four houses all around is very closely tied where we have to have walls and fences um, to keep folks in and only a stretch of grass. It's only like that big. We don't yeah. even have a lawnmower because we don't have enough grass. To have. <laughs> and You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. you know, I think you know, this is going to be really fun. And I think this, you know, COVID did put everything into perspective because we hadn't really heavily explored doing the farm until COVID happened. And we're like, you know what, this is, we want, we need a change. And this is, yeah. and this is, this is it. Well, from watching your channel, you both seem really great at uh, making the best of things. I'm not sure how much of that is just artifice for the camera, but talking to you now, it seems real. And I was watching a video where you rented out a movie theater and you took your kids <laughs> there and you watched a movie. And to me, yeah. I was like, that cost must be astronomical. But in the video, you were saying that it was quite affordable. It was under $100. Really? Yeah. 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 A full yeah. movie theater. Yeah. And you can pick whatever movie you wanted. And, you know, typical movie prices, you know, is $12 to $15 for, mm-hmm. for a ticket. You know, we, we only paid an extra $40 to have the whole theater to ourselves, to yeah. ourselves and it was just because we were like we are tired of it we were talking to ourselves like we haven't seen a movie in forever this is crazy i was yeah. like and i was like i knew before covid did how you could uh you know i, I rented out movie theaters for like friends birthday parties mm-hmm. and, stuff, and i was like i don't remember it being crazy or I, I wouldn't have rented it out so i looked online <laughs> and they, they've reduced the rates down to nothing because there's you know not, most people are not you know even going to the theater. And they were thinking about it and and, mm-hmm. and just so you know if you choose a newer movie it was more expensive yeah there's a we picked older movies like so we got kung fu panda for like 80 bucks but if you did like a current movie it was like 150 bucks so we were totally down with the kung fu panda and then you saved money (laughs) on the snacks because you instead of getting the movie theater snacks you just went to like a a local target which i think (laughs) you made up for the price Yeah, I mean, we, yeah. we have to teach your kids early, right? Because there's no, there's people are calling us out for that. They're like, that's how movie theaters make their money. I'm like, look, we bought popcorn, bottled water. We supported them. Yeah, we did buy. It's all about stuff. balance yeah. here, guys. You know, yeah. like, don't give us a hard time. And it's showmanship. We're shooting a video. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, like, and so. it's promoting the theater too, which is much more than uh, most people are doing by by exactly. doing that. Because it, yeah. it made me think. I want to look to see if this is available where we're from. We're, yeah. we're from uh, Hamilton, Ontario, just outside of Toronto. So I, that, yeah. the first thing I'm doing after this is looking that up. <laughs> <laughs> you should. You know, it's funny that you mentioned, like, are you just for show, you know, mm-hmm. all these things on YouTube. I talk to Burton about this all the time. I feel like a lot of parents should do YouTube because it really does make you think out of the box. Yeah. Yeah. So is there showmanship? Yeah, slightly because, you know, but we, but we're also doing something with our kids. Like this has made it so that we're not just sitting at the house, putting on the TV, doing the same mundane thing over and over again. Like social media has been really helpful for us to constantly be creative and think out of the box, which has become now our norm. And that has been really fun. Like, would we have, gone to the movie theater and you know done a dance party in the middle of target you know had we not been doing the youtube 
I mean, that is who we are, but I think it just pushes you to kind of just have fun and live in the moment and think of and be creative and put the tablet down, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's, you know, that is kind of a, a silver lining too with social media for us, right? I agree. Okay, Burton and Dustin, we're just going to take a quick break to let everyone know who we are supported by. Mini Miosh. Mini Miosh is a premium, organic, ethically made and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. They believe in quality over quantity and make the absolute best basics for your littles. The only thing annoying is they do not make adult clothing yet. I know, I know, yet I can hope for that one day. But they have the most fashionable wardrobe staples that are so soft, comfy, and timeless, and they can be passed from kid to kid regardless of gender. And they're always easy to put on, zip up, get on the child without fuss. Yes, without fuss. And Lucy loves it because she just feels like she's in play clothes all the time, even if she's looking, you know, extra cute. The organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. And if you shop Mini Miosh, check out their knit collection, which includes organic merino wool, upcycled polar fleece, and Sherpa fleece. Our favorite is the Varsity Romper, and we just got one in Jersey, which is also amazing. They're on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it, and Mini Miosh believes that every little bit counts. You can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. Use the promo code ThisFamilyTree15 for 15% off your order. This is available in Canada and the US. Again, that is minimiosh.com and ThisFamilyTree15. But we are also supported by Hello Bello. Being a parent is hard, like really hard. So when you go to get diapers to prevent the next eventual blowout, finding a diaper that's absorbent and soft without spending a fortune shouldn't be just as tough. No way. And it's not tough for us because since we found Hello Bello, there is no looking back. (laughs) It's true. Co-founded by Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard, Hello Bello is built on the simple idea that all babies deserve the best, which is why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices. Lucy used to hate putting cream on her bum. No cream, no cream. Now she demands Hello Bello cream. This is not a joke. She demands it even when she doesn't have a rash. No, it's it's very true. And the great thing is that their diaper bundling service lets you choose from over 20 different fun rotating designs. And each bundle comes with seven packs of diapers, four packs of plant-based wipes, and even one full-size product freebie with your first order. Plus, you can get 15% off of any add-ons like the diaper rash cream that Lucy loves, like bubble bath, like their wipes, like the detangler, which I even use for my hair. But I hope everyone is sitting down because we are about to hit you with a massive percentage. So to get Hello Bello super soft, super absorbent, and super affordable diapers delivered right to your door, go to hellobello.ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree30. 30. 30. For 30% off your diaper bundle order. That's huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowouts saved. I implore you to find a better deal. That's hellobello.ca, promo code thisfamilytree30 to start bundling with 30% off your first order. Don't forget, it's hellobello.ca, promo code thisfamilytree30. And it's applicable to Canadians only. But now let's get back to our interview with Burton and Dustin. And for you, without the children, without the cameras rolling, when it's just you, do you have date nights? That's something we've gotten into. Like, what do you do just for you both to have a, a reprieve from the children and the work? Absolutely. I mean, so not only, enough, not, not enough, not enough. Before COVID, we did that. We did this a lot more. We had, you know, babysitters, you know, every other weekend, maybe for once a month at least. Yeah, where we were. We, we would have date nights and really go out. We'd go see a movie. We'd go to go to dinner. 
And of course, you know, that, that's a little more challenging because with COVID, we are really, we're keeping our circle tight to make sure that we're not, you know, we have older grandparents who are around too. So we're just trying to keep everybody healthy and safe. And so every night we have, you know, I wouldn't say d- date nights, but we, you know, after putting the kids down, we, we, we share time away from social media, drinking a bottle of sake, uh, watching whatever shows we can, you know, talk, you know talking about our, our, our day. Yeah. And so there's, um, there's, there's those little moments. And I know, you know, with, we always make sure we find that time for ourselves, even if it's a small amount of time per day to, to do that, mm-hmm. rather than running in all different directions. We have to decompress somehow. And, mm-hmm. and, and the only way I can decompress is being around him. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, spending spending that time. And here's the thing, I, and this is something I think is so important for all parents. You know, I think a lot of parents, we get lost just in our kids and they become our number one and our full focus. And, you know, I think it's important to remember that there's going to be a time that your children leave you, you know, mm-hmm. and then you are left with your spouse who you've been ignoring for, you know, 17, 18 years. And so I think it's crucial. Hear me out. You got to put yourself first, then your spouse, then your kids, because most people think you got to put your kids first. Now, hear me out on this. I know you're like, what? Your kids last? You got to think about yourself because if you don't, you're going to lose yourself. And if you don't take time to go work out, you're not going to be a sound Mm -hmm. parent. You're not going to be a sound spouse. Mm -hmm. Also, you know, falling along with your spouse, your best friend, your partner in life, the person that's going to be with you for the rest of your life you have to make them important and you have to make sure that you're not only, you know, cherishing that relationship, but you're setting an example for your kids. Your kids are going to see that you make that person important to you. And that's going to set them up for a healthy dating relationship. And then your kids, even though we know that the kids are always going to somehow wiggle their way up to the front of the line, yeah, but do. if you put it in that line up, it's really, really healthy and important. Yeah. And at the very beginning, when we did do date nights and we left the house, the kids would lose it. Right. They're like, no, this is our daddy papa time. And we're like, we're like, no, it is, it is, it is daddy papa time, but without, without you and you're trying, trying to explain to them, we need our time too. And they're like, but you don't, you know, you don't want to be with, you know, there's all that stuff now today when we leave and go on date nights, you're like, bye. They're like, yeah. hey, they're just like they, they know. They they know because this is and, and and they know what time it is. Even when we go yeah. to the uh, you know um go work out or something you know and say we're gonna go do a we're gonna go do a little exercise by ourselves. You know that is part of it too. Is just saying hey this is part of our you know how we're staying healthy healthy minded for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with eating healthy and all of that. But you're right. Yeah, um, guys, yeah. we have so much more in common than you think. That is always how Shane and I describe it. It's yeah, preaching to the choir each other before the kids, because if we can't model a healthy, happy relationship, then what, you know, what are, what are we giving them? And we really try to make each other a priority. So we do in COVID. So I have lupus. I can't go out like at all. And so does our youngest. So our date nights and everything is like at home every Wednesday. Tonight is date night. Sure. So very excited. And we are now like going through a wine tasting. So at the beginning of every date night, we're like have a, we're part of a wine club so we're doing that and what's your favorite bottle of sake because that counts as wine it's rice wine really <laughs> yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know that <laughs> it is. i it's love sake yeah, yeah. We, we only have so we have, like the unfiltered the, the nagori unfiltered because it's like i feel like the the clear, like clear filtered sake is like tastes like rubbing alcohol yeah. but the unfiltered and it's chilled is sweet so and amazing good. and dangerous. So you do <laughs> cold sake. Cold sake. Yeah, yes, cold. it's cold. Okay. It okay. I, I like I like hot sake usually. Mm-hmm. 
Well, we're gonna have to we'll send you a bottle. Yes. How about that? It's, uh, we're gonna hold you to that. <laughs> we got, we got several friends, several friends hooked on it. Right, and they just send us like text messages of them holding it up. You know, amazing. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Saki and I. But yeah, that sounds so fun. I know. Yeah, two things I've become really into since I've had children is learning people's morning routines, mm-hmm. and for some reason I've become really obsessed with what time their children go to bed. And the answer usually surprises me. I like to throw guesses, not to say I'm good at it, but I'm going to guess your children go to bed at 8.30 p.m. That's really close. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's pretty much it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, like last night was closer to 9. But yeah, 8.30 is usually around the time. And even though we're going to get them in bed earlier. Yeah, but what? Because they start school. They've already, they just started school this week. Yeah, so they're going to get up earlier now. Mm -hmm. And because we've been out, we've kept them home during this entire COVID process, but we've just started integrating them into going to their Montessori school for a few hours. So that starts at 8.30. So mm-hmm. they're going to have to go earlier. What were you saying? I'm sorry to cut you off. Oh, I was just saying the same thing. Yeah. This is, um, you know, with a, with a morning routine, um, you know, during during COVID, it is, well, I would say in the middle of the night, it's a routine, right? We put, we put them in their bed. They have, they both share a room. They have their own beds in, in the room. And around 8.30, they go down. Um, it, you know, around 1 to 3 a.m., they both sneak in our bed and this has been happening for during the entire time of COVID. They, they, they either come together or they come one at a time, just depending. Yeah. And, and, and they end up, they end up sneaking into our bed. So, which is, which is amazing. And I, I know I'm going to cry when that ends because it is really sweet. However, in the middle of the night, sometimes it is challenging. I'm going to say it's not always amazing. Let's say it real. Yeah. Okay. Cause like he's, it's amazing for him because I feel like our son always curls up to him at night. <laughs> oh, he said he's the best snuggler. Our daughter, and he's like a log. Like he's right. like, he's solid. You, he doesn't move. And then our daughter, who is the littlest thing, is like a ninja. And she's doing like <laughs> acrobats <laughs> next to me, punching me in the face, pushing me off the bed. Uh, like I'm all, 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 I, all I hear in the nighttime is like, it's like, Papa? Papa and, they, and he's like he's like what? And she's, she's like I need water. And then like two minutes later, Papa, I Papa, I need chapstick. Papa, I'm like, Papa, I need I need I need uh, tissue. I'm like I need sleep. <laughs> I hope you guys have a king size bed with all this. We did. Yeah. Thank we did. God. Thank God. See, like it didn't start out this way. We were always very much like they always sleep in their bed. Period. Mm-hmm. Like you know, we were never that couple that. Oh, you know, slept with our babies. Yeah. We would if they were crying, we would pull them into our bed for a moment they always went back to their crib. And then after they got out of cribs, they, you know, would come into our room, but they would wake us up. But then they got smart. They realized they can sneak into our room without waking us up, you know, commando crawl up underneath the sheets and then fall asleep. And we don't realize it until like three or four in the morning. (laughs) And we just leave them there, right? So So do you both wake up at the same time and who's making the coffee and how many coffees a day do you have? So I usually wake up first because I have to hop on meetings pretty early. So I'm in the shower early, and then and then like seven a.m. seven a.m. six thirty, and then, and then you know during my process, um, you know, because we're all in the same room, the whole family, uh, you know, getting you know, I kind of wake everyone else up in that, in that process. Yeah, so. and I'm the only coffee drinker. Like oh. he is psycho and doesn't drink coffee, which I don't understand. Whoa, I don't yeah. understand that. Wow. You don't understand that. <laughs> what do you drink? Like, what do you, how do you wake well, up? What cold he probably shower? just always has energy because he's not on this cycle of like we are. Right. He yeah. drinks like five gallons of water. I mean, he's, a, a, he's a freak of nature. Yeah. <laughs> if I drink, I thought you would not want to be around me. I would, I would explode if I, yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm yeah. nuts, you know, ang- you know anxiety's mm-hmm. through the roof. There's like, 
he's already so high like wired like high strong like he doesn't need coffee but i do i'm like a (laughs) sloth you know like in the morning like he's already happy he's playing jokes on me and i'm just like don't talk to me don't look at me don't touch me (laughs) until i drink a gallon of coffee yin yang you guys said it you're yin yang it's perfect (laughs) (laughs) aren't you impressed though that i knew that it was 8 30 are you a psychic? Like, what's going on okay, here? Okay, so he- this- here's how I deduced it. Okay, you're not neurotic. And a lot of people that we interview, if they seem really neurotic, they'll be like, oh, at, at any whim, the baby goes to bed when it wants to go to bed because we, we don't want any separation things. So you seem to have that uh, healthy yeah. balance where you would just put the child to bed when you thought, not too early, but not too late. So oh, you, you yeah, seem like thanks. very rational people. <laughs> yeah. Unlike well, us. We- well, we look more tired, so yes, we're, we're like, exhausted. okay, we're putting them in the, that bed at like as soon Six, as 630. possible. 6.30. <laughs> is that, is that, what, time is, what time do you guys put your daughter? 6.30, because we're 6:30. like always worried about sleep and not getting it, and we're waking up while she's waking yeah. up so often to feed the baby. But yeah. anyway, I wanted to let you in on my mind. Yeah. <laughs> 6.30, I mean, the 6.30s were, you know, that was in the past, and then it just kept creeping up, creeping up, yeah. creeping up, because here's the thing, too, is, wait, we, your daughter is, what, three? So we have a she, an almost three year old and then the seven month old. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay, almost three. Yeah, yeah. So the, I mean, we would do the we do the early bedtime, but then they would they, they wouldn't sleep through the night. So then they're up at like five a.m. waking us up. So we had to find that balance where it's the, their perfect amount of sleep where they go to bed and they they get they allow us to, to sleep until you know we all yeah. it's our time to wake up because that's that's the worst is you go to bed you binge watch something up until midnight and yeah. then someone's waking up at five a.m. You know, so we need to have that that kind of. No. Does your daughter still nap? Well, she's <laughs> she's yelling right now. <laughs> she has quiet time. So she okay. stays yeah. in her crib yeah. for two hours a day so that she usually plays. She rarely yells or cries, but she just plays with her toys. She sings songs. Sometimes she might choose to nap. And this is when Shane and I do our interviews, work out, you know, all the stuff that is necessary for our well-being. But it's yep. crucial. Yeah. She needs to always have quiet time. Like, I, I don't yep. know if I foresee a future without quiet time. Do you, does your... Yeah, we, yeah, it's always quiet time. I mean, that went away during COVID just because the house is you mm-hmm. know full of people all the time. I know you guys are... You're, you're, you've already established this routine probably even before COVID. We were... Uh, actually, we were, like, never wanting to get rid of that, that nap time. <laughs> we were so sad to see that go. But then they started going to bed early and we're like, yes, you know, mm-hmm. we're yes, fine with this. Like, yeah. <laughs> When they, but at the end of that nap time, they were staying up way too late because mm-hmm. they were sleeping through the day. And yeah, and we, we, really put them, we put them down at eight thirty, and at eleven thirty, they're still just rocking and rolling. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's is, like, just get rid of the naps. Get rid of the naps. <laughs> so, guys, I want to close with uh, one final question. It's a good way to know, close. The good yeah. way to close. But what are your goals as fathers, and how would you like to see the fatherhood paradigm shift? You know, I think every every parent, you know, every parent, you know, goals for a family. Every parent pretty much has the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. We we want to establish a a loving, caring household where our kids grow up super happy, having all the opportunities that that, that, that they need. I don't know that our you know is is a is a is gay men or in men in general that our um, priorities are, are different or our, our strategy is different from any other parent. Some of it too is affected by your kids, right? Our kids have their own personalities and their own interests and everything, and so. No matter what you think you're going to, whatever direction you're going to set and whatever you're going to have in mind for your kid, they're going to determine a lot of that. And you have to be um, open-minded enough 
to change your your strategy and direction of how you're going to parent them. Mm-hmm. You know, and our kids are just now coming into that what they what they love and what they like. Some they're into art, they're into dance, they're into. We took them to Taekwondo and and they didn't like it. So we're like, okay, that's we're not gonna you know, do it. now we're taking them to soccer and they love it. So it, you know, just trying all these different things to see where they fall and trying to let them create their own identity is really important. So just experience letting them experience the world. And then as mm-hmm. a parent, you just step back and whatever they fall into, you just support with all your heart. <laughs> I think that's important for us just because I think as um, me being like, I remember being a gay boy, you know, I, a lot of my interest were kind of, you know, blocked because they were, you know, I wanted to do ballet. And then my family was like, no, you know, there's a lot of gay people in ballet. You can't do ballet. Or mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm six foot four five and a half. And so, they pushed me into basketball and I didn't want to play basketball. I was like always very creative, wanted to do arts, mm-hmm. things like that. And so I think that little piece of like how I remember being kind of pushed views of how I should be this boy that does these things. And, uh, you know, we're, we, we're rid of that. So yeah. if our son wants to do ballet, great. If our son, wa- if our daughter wants to play football, go for it. You and, know, and they have our son, our son, <laughs> our son is, looks amazing in a tattoo and his little or tutu. tutu. <laughs> I was going to say, Sorry, that's a little early. That's a little early. Yeah. He'll look great in a tattoo. And the two, and you know, it, it, it jumps around and it's just amazing. And the most yeah. cutest little thing and out there with a bunch of, you know, it was just a bunch of girls, but he, yeah. I mean, he loved it. And he he's like, he was, he was spot on. Like, I can be on stage doing this and like, mm-hmm. great. So I think that's yeah. part of what you were saying. Like what would our, our, you know, our goals for like, you know, to see change or that shift and change is just kind of ridding what you want, like what you want your child to be, because that's mm-hmm. not our roles as parents. Our parent, mm-hmm. our roles as parents is to be supportive and expose your children and expose them to a million different things and be there to encourage and to guide them through their interests. You know, instead of pushing, pushing that, you know, just because you dreamed of being a, a football star, you know, now you're going to force your child to be a football star. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not, that's mm-hmm. not fair. You know, and as and as a goal for us dads, like what are our goals? I mean, I I think like just being true to ourselves, being true to our family, and allowing them to just have space and and to just become who they are. And we've talked about that. This kind of goes back to your social media questions. We are very prepared. And right now it's so cute and they want to be in photos with us, but there's going to be a time that they'll probably want their privacy and we want to give them that space. So there's, you know, I do see in the, in our future, like kind of allowing them to have that decision. Like if you don't want to be, it's going to be probably be more of our social media featuring Burton and I, and then what we're doing on the farm, as opposed to showcasing our children so that they can have that space. So just not losing sight of what matters for our family and for our kids in the future. No, that's really, that's really beautiful. And gentlemen, where can listeners find you if they want to follow along with you on YouTube, they want to see your profiles, where can they do that on the internet? All right. So my, so we have two separate Instagrams. Mine is Dustin. If you just put in Dustin Patrick Smith, it will pop up, but it's Dustin underscore Patrick underscore Smith. Why so long? I know. (laughs) And then then you want me to add Buffalo to the end. Come on. (laughs) Burton. Yeah. So so I'm I'm BB Buffalo. Um, it, it only on Instagram. So it's just three, three B's and then B U F F A L O E. And um, then our YouTube is Dustin and Burton raising buffaloes. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> you were so fantastic. Thank you so much for sitting down with us today. That was such a, 
see, I just love I love sitting down with people now because we don't see anybody anymore. So this yeah, is it super is nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a cool. highlight. We will have to have a sake night. Yeah, a sake Hell, night. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll do Hell, this again. Yes. <laughs> We're in. Sign us up. We're in. But guys, truly, thank you so, so much for sitting down with us today. And enjoy the rest of your week. You, you too. too. Enjoy, care, enjoy date night tonight. Oh, yeah. we will. We'll try. We will. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. See ya. There you have it. Did that cheer you up? Not that we're listening to the interviews in real time, but are you happier now? You know what? The thought of it does cheer me up because it was such a lovely interview. They are two wonderful people and just their family dynamic. I love so much. It's so much fun to follow along. So yeah. They're what I strive to be. Yes. Yes. And I do hope that they send us sake. Do you think they will? I need sake right now. But this Seedlip drink did actually make me feel a lot better. I thought I was going to cry this episode. I truly did. And then the second this hit my lips, I felt calmer. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is going to be less compelling because I'm not going to cry. But uh, ratings aside, let's get to our next interview with <laughs> Jamila Lemieux, who's someone I was worried for some reason that we, we may not get her because she is a big, impressive mm-hmm. get. She's been on The Breakfast Club Chrissy Teigen follows her, which, you know, this is my first question because to me, that is so cool. But to her, she has her eyes on much more important things Mm -hmm. as many very extremely intelligent people do. But yeah, I'm excited to listen to this interview and I'm going to be listening to it with all the listeners because... I didn't edit this one. Yeah, no, it's it's really good. And again, just for listeners, she was also in the R. Kelly documentary, like prominently. So we've seen her yes. in the R. That was a documentary. I just stopped everything I was doing. We were in Florida yes. on vacation. And we just said, hey, out of the pool, we're watching the R. Kelly doc. <laughs> no, but she, she really is a fascinating and impressive guest. So yeah, we hope you enjoy this one. But before we get to this interview, let's tell everyone who we are supported by. We are supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking. I won't lie, I was a little down at the beginning of this episode, but one drink of that Seedlip, everything started to feel all right. Yeah, and it's crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, but as a non-drinker, it doesn't take you away from that, you know, social life feeling. Because these cocktails that you can make are so sophisticated and they are so tasty. Whether you're pairing your seed lip with just a splash of tonic or making something a little more complicated, you are in for a good time. And it's just a delight to drink. And whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, they've got a drink for you. They have three variants, Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grove 42. Take our word for it. Try one out. You will find your non-alcoholic cocktail soulmate. So head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This is available in Canada and the U.S. And again, that website is seedlipdrinks.com and thisfamilytree10. But now let's get to our interview with Jamila. But Jamila, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us today. We are really excited to talk to you. So, you know, not only are you a very prolific writer and you have been for ages but you are running slates karen feeding or is it feed yeah karen feeding parenting oh no i don't run it i'm just a contributor right right but you are a co-host on the mom dad are fighting podcast and have been on so many 
programs like CNN, MSNBC, you were in the R. Kelly doc advocating for his accountability, and you even helped run Elizabeth Warren's campaign. Is that last bit true? You you contributed? I was just a surrogate. Okay, because I was reading that, and I was like, <laughs> you're everywhere, and I don't know how anybody finds the time for it. And with such a, you know, a huge career and so prolific, like I said, what do you find what aspect of it best defines you, not to other people, but within yourself? I think the fact that like, you're giving me a lot of credit is, I promise it's not as fabulous as it sounds, but thank you for the the very warm intro. I'll say it's the fact that I do a lot of different things, like that speaks to who I am at the Mm -hmm. core. You know, like I've never just felt like I identified with one way of thinking, you know, like, you know, like I, yes, I lean left, of course, but like, I just never felt like there are very few boxes that, you know, fit me and and fit my interests. And so I think that I've been really fortunate, uh, like a lot of millennial folks to, you know, kind of cobble together a career of a bunch of different things and interests as opposed to just doing one thing. Mm-hmm. What were some highlights of your career? Because I've noticed Chrissy Teigen follows you, which to me, that's unbelievable. Like Emma Wiggle follows us <laughs> and to us that we just can't believe it. And you were on The Breakfast Club. Like that mm-hmm. that's huge. For you personally, what is your biggest accomplishment or accolade? So it's funny. It, it certainly wasn't like a a big accomplishment per se, but like, you know, watching you nurse. <laughs> that's a highlight. <laughs> For that, this is definitely a highlight. It's well, it's nice to be on the other side because I was the nursing mom on camera in the past. You, you know, like I so the first time this was pretty early, like well, it's 2013, obviously, because I just given birth to my daughter. And I've been at yeah, I guess I was starting to do like CNN and MSNBC stuff. And there was a time, you know, a brief time where I did that stuff pretty frequently. And so I gave birth to my daughter on Friday night and I've been asked to be on Huffington Post Live, uh, which was a, you know, kind of cool live politics, news, pop culture show that they were doing at the time on Monday. And I said, yes, you know, and like, and so it was via, you know, I was passionate. I wasn't in the studio and like, I nursed my baby on, you know, before there was Zoom, Good for you. I was Zoom nursing. And so like that I've been able to bring my daughter along the way for this journey. Like I have a picture of her, like I was looking, you know, uh, I, iPhone is ta- uh, tormenting everyone who's socially distancing right now by reminding us of how cool our lives used to be, right? Like every day you get the, <laughs> the memories. memories. I'm like, oh yeah. I forgot about them. Like for my daughter's fourth birthday, I was speaking at a conference with folks from Twitter, including Jack, the founder, and like an Angela Rye and Brittany Packnett and April Rain from Oscar So White. They were the other panelists. And like we did this panel in Kansas City. And I was like, well, I, if I'm going to go out of town this weekend, I need to bring my daughter. It's like her birthday. And they were like, cool, bring her. And so like <laughs> they brought her on stage. Like it was at this big uh engineers conference and like had everybody sing her happy birthday you know and it's just and like not too long after that I I brought her to I was able to get tickets to the BET awards because she was obsessed with new edition and went to you know see them and she got to meet some of the members of the group so it's I I think the fact that like this has been a journey that I've gotten to take like my daughter got to meet Elizabeth Warren you know like when she came here for her last campaign stop I think those are really the highlights for me. You know, it's it's less about the proximity to, you know, celebrities are interesting people. It's cool being around them from time to time. I have mm-hmm. a couple of them that I've, you know, befriended, but 
you know, she's really the celebrity in my life. So, you know, being in these positions with your daughter and like, I think of a Twitter conference and I, I mean, I've never been to one, so I can't comment, but in my mind, it's, you know, maybe full of oh no, it was an inter- nerdy mask. It was an in- well, yes, they were nerds. It was an engineering conference. I mean, okay. and not to say that in a bad way, but it was the- yeah, but like nerd, like uh, nerdy masculinity, if that makes sense, right? So to be around, you know, a mother or a breastfeeding mother in some cir- some circumstances, yeah. Do you want to take her? Yeah. Okay. See you later, Betty. Oh. <laughs> what a doll yeah, she's, she's a good so one. <laughs> thank you but were you ever met with resistance being a working mother in these environments or was everybody pretty comfortable and welcoming I have been very very I won't I don't even want to say blessed or ch- like charmed you know I've been very blessed blessed is the word because I have not certainly there have been opportunities or things that, you know, perhaps I might've wanted or, you know, and and maybe, or would have wanted if I'd known, you know, that I were in consideration for them that, Mm -hmm. you know, there could, there certainly could be a circumstance in which someone says, doesn't she have a baby or didn't she just have a kid? Or she seems like she's really busy with the mom stuff. Like I I wouldn't doubt that that has cost, you know, Mm -hmm. any working mother something, but I have, you know, I had two full-time media jobs during my daughter's life. I, I was in, editor at Ebony Magazine for five years. So I was there when she was born, left in 2016. I was a junior executive doing uh, digital online media stuff. In both of those places, my daughter was welcome. You know, like she was celebrated. She was, you know, I mean, the the second job was in a larger office. So there did have to be a like, okay, guys, when you bring your kids to, you know, don't forget you have, they have to stay with you because my coworkers would always want to hang out with her, Yeah, you know, and like, and, and these would be people I trusted. And so it would be that like, okay, if something happens and she gets hurt, you know, like you're not there. And so, but, but yeah, I've been really, really lucky. And I hope that, you know, like we're, you know, as millennial women, ascend to leadership positions where they're making decisions about who gets hired and and about, you know, practices in the workplace. Like I'm hoping that, you know, we see more, not just tolerance for motherhood. Like, I feel like the first step was tolerating moms at work. Like, okay, fine. You can still have your job. We're not going to push you out, you know, but we're not going to support you. What we need to see now is like, not just, you know, addressing the discrimination, but like, how do you make being a working mother easier? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, I think that so many of us have had to do our jobs from home with our children. I mean, it's been a nightmare in a lot of ways, but I also think that people who had not considered, you know, like that kind of that delicate dance that working parents, particularly, you know, working busy moms are doing um, are now seeing it up close. And I'm hoping that creates more empathy. Yeah, it is so hard because I think we're pulled in every direction on a good day, on a non-pandemic day. And then now in these times, we're expected to do all these things at home. So we're, you know, living outside of Toronto in Canada. We've currently got like four feet of snow outside. We're not going anywhere. We're stuck in a pandemic. I'm high risk because I have lupus and autoimmune disease. So we are just so isolated, yet, you know, we're still working every day. And I actually, I was reading an article that you wrote for The Cut early February And one quote just, it stuck out to me. So I'm going to read that for the listeners. Okay, so the article was called, I Can't Complain, But If I Could. And in talking about your daughter, you said, the other day she said, I'm cold. Can you take off your skin and put it on me? That's how pandemic parenting feels. Like opening your skin and allowing your child to crawl inside for warmth. 
except your skin isn't enough to cover the both of you. I feel that so much every single day. And I know so many of our listeners do. We're stretched this way, that way. We want to be there for our kids. and We want to be the best parents that we can be. And we want to also be working and the best employees that we can be, the best, you know, bosses that we can be, whatever that is, the best partners we can be. But there's not enough of us to go around. And then in my case, anyway, I feel like I'm left, you know, inadequate in so many different regards at the end of the day, whether it's as a partner, a mom, a worker, whatever. How do you pull through that? And is there pulling through that? You know, it's difficult. And I try, you know, I think there've been times in the past where, you know, I'm a single parent and I have like an idyllic co-parenting situation. The, the, the best I've seen, you know, my daughter divides her time in half between mm-hmm. my house and, and her dad and her stepmother's home. And she has a younger brother there. So like, I'm also off the hook for providing another kid, you know, <laughs> for the time being. It's like, great, you're covered. You've got lots of people who love you. It's cool. And it's, it's so much more complicated than, you know, it, it sounds. But, you know, I think and it's more complicated to her, perhaps, than I might have realized. For me, it's On one hand, I feel very grateful and privileged that I get a lot of alone time. And that's Mm. something that I was, you know, when Naima was much younger, I think I was so deeply kind of caught up in like my expectations for what motherhood was going to be because it was kind of a, you know, it it was an unplanned pregnancy with somebody I just broken up with. And I was just kind of like, huh? You know, you had um, just broken up. We just broke up when I found out I was pregnant and I'm super pro-choice, you yeah. know, but I, my spirit, just something was like, this is your, this is the baby. Yeah. This is the baby, you know, and, and she's amazing. And we're both obsessed with her and her dad is such a great dad, you know, like, that's, I, so, important. that's so good. Yeah. Like we're, uh, we're very fortunate, but, mm-hmm. um, but like with that, so like, I've always, you know, even re- like, I think there was a time where I felt very, you know, resentful or not necessarily bitter, but like, disappointed and really anxious. Like, when am I going to get married? You know, like, this is not a complete family. This is not an intact family yet. You know, we're a mom. We're not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even call us a family. I would, I would just say that we were mom and daughter. And then basically like what I was doing was just kind of like in the meantime, like this mm-hmm. isn't real. Like this becomes real when I get married and then, you know, and and so I looked at my friends who were married and, and that's most of my friends who have children and, and my sister. And I was just kind of like, oh, you know, well, it must be nice to have somebody to help you with everything. But like the longer I continued to mother and parent and, and talk to these women, I realized how fortunate I am to have a lot of alone time. Mm-hmm. I just think it's something that human beings, you know, should have. It, it's something that, you know, I've had to encourage my daughter, like, no, like, it's, it's not just me saying, I'm not saying you're getting on my nerves. I'm saying like, you need to learn how to be by yourself sometimes and read and kind of, you know, and so- I've always treasured this thing. And now it's, you know, I would certainly prefer this to her being here 100% of the time. And it mm-hmm. was just me, but I feel like I'm kind of, it feels like groundhog day, you know, oh like I God. feel like I'm on this cycle that just doesn't end. So it's like, Oh, this, I forgot who tweeted the other day. It's a writer who I really like. So I feel bad for not remembering who it was, but she said, It'll come to me who it was in a minute, but there's always dishes and something is always due. And that's how I feel. There's always the other half of the article to write. You know, we have a dishwasher, but there's always dishes in the sink. You know, why? The same here. Why? How does that happen? Why? I know. I can't. I wash, I put, I load the dishwasher every night. It's just not (laughs) enough. You know, it's like I have to do this throughout the day. It's just, so I, 
on one hand, you know, I feel like I'm blessed. I'm, you know, we're in a warm, safe house. Like we live in LA. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we can, we can go and we're, and we lived in New York until a year ago. So like, we are very fortunate that we were able to do this here until we moved a couple months before um, the pandemic. So it's like, we're lucky to be somewhere we can go outside. But, you know, I, I guess the one thing I can say in terms of like how, I'm surviving it, like, in addition to just having a couple of, you know, privileges, um, namely time to myself and being in a warm climate, but, um, cause I'm like, everything else sucks, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, and, and I will say, I don't have like, I don't have the stability of a nine to five, you know, which at times I crave, but at the same time, like, I don't have somebody looking at me to be on zoom every day at the same time. Like, mm -hmm. where were you, yeah. you know? So if I'm like today, I'm just really like, you know, I'm out of it. I need some extra time to pull it together. Like I can give myself that I might have to pay the cost, yeah. you know, but it is something I can give myself. I'll just say that like, as many other people have, I've gotten really intentional about like self-care practices during mm -hmm. the quarantine, like things that and this was like a part of my like plan from transitioning to from New York to California anyway, like, okay, I'm going to become more, you know, I'm going to be, a, I would say, I'm going to be the LA stereotype, crystals, <laughs> yoga, meditation, yeah. you know, I might go vegan in a year, like, let's just do it. And so um, having those things in my life, like I do meditate and, you know, I work out more than I had. I mean, at the top of the quarantine, I was great. Now like, I got to start back. I was like, I got to get back on it again, but I was doing so well for a long time. You know, I, I just, I, I take baths, you know, I, I journal, I read more. Like, so I think those things it, it's, I don't do them every day in the way that I want to. Sometimes it's like, I just stole four or five minutes and, mm -hmm. and did that stuff. And some days it's like, Oh, I spent the afternoon on that because I could, I will say taking time to do things that are like about me and about like me in a healthy way, as opposed to like, mm -hmm. Oh, so I got, you know, I was sad. So I like online shopped or just went to Ross stress for less. Cause there's nothing else to do. And just like, you know, like, yeah. Um, spent money on nothing like you know it's that's been really helpful no I think that this has been you know for people in this in a situation where it's kind of like you wrote in the article you could complain sorry you don't really have too much to complain about because you're safe you're healthy but if you did it would be these things and I think becoming intentional about you know self-care and getting more in tune with yourself during these times is so important you know whether you are a single mom whether you're just a single person whether you're a mom with a house full of kids and so much shit to do, you need to pay attention to that. And right now, like, I mean, I'm trying to prioritize myself. I was doing a good job about it. But now it's like I have deadlines and I have so many things to do and a newborn and a toddler. And it's wild, right? And then all this. And then Shane and I are trying to get in couples time and time to kind of rebuild because we work together and that can cause its own kind of tension. So that's tough. And, you know, you were talking about being alone and how important that alone time is. Now, the pandemic has kind of forced celibacy on such a huge portion of people, especially millennials. And what has that been like? And like online dating? Are you are you online dating? How, how do you deal with forced celibacy? Because that's Ooh, girl. a weird thing to Very go through. Very weird thing to do. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, it's funny because I'd actually had written about that a bit more for the cut article and the editor liked it. And she said, like, I want to maybe we could turn this into a separate article, you know, because I'm like, <laughs> this is a nightmare. It could be its own book. 
So it could, oh my God, it really could. It's, it really could. It's just like, you know, yeah, I have not chosen celibacy previously in my life. Like mm-hmm. I've never, and I do, you know, it is, it's forced, but I do think of it as a choice. Like, but I mean, it's, a, I'm choosing to like keep my family safe. Oh, cool. Well, that's it. Right. Right. But There's like, no you know, but a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of people are not choosing that, you know? And so like, I think that has made it a little bit more complicated for me. So like at the beginning of the pandemic, I was doing a lot of swiping and like, you know, I was on a couple of dating apps for, you know, the pandemic, like I I liked them in New York. And when I got to LA, I was a little bit, you know, I was looking forward to like, you know, I just want to kind of try to go out and meet people the regular way, you know, like, but like, I've always been so busy. And so I was like, you know, like maybe I won't be as busy here. Maybe I can just kind of like, you know, just go out more, but I still was on there. And I was like, you know, I'm also new in town. I don't really know anybody. And I was traveling a lot when I first got here. So I didn't really get a lot of time outdoors in LA. Mm-hmm. I, I met a guy from one of the apps pretty quickly. We dated for, you know, a couple months. And so like, I wasn't really going on dates with new guys during that time period. So like, I didn't build up a roster. Like I didn't have anyone like, <laughs> you, you know, like in the I, city, you need a roster. You need a roster, yeah. right? Like this would have played out very differently for me in New York. I'm like, now you might have stepdad by now. We might've just like... <laughs> <laughs> was like, look, at least for the time being, I know this guy's a good guy, he's safe. We yeah. just, you know, I can't do this alone. So at the beginning of the pandemic, I was swiping a lot and I was like, you know, connecting with guys. And there was like a guy connected with elsewhere, random, oh, like a friend of a friend who I know, like just guys were around. Mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of, you know, FaceTimes and texting and all types of stuff. And like, but I mean, there were some things that just kind of naturally fell by the wayside. They weren't all here either, which didn't really matter because it's like, we're just trying, kind of trying to entertain each other in the meantime. And that's really what it was to me. There wasn't anyone that I was like, oh, you know, I could really see this turning into something, you know, Mm -hmm. like that would be ideal. But like, I didn't necessarily feel that way about this group of guys. But, you know, what did end up happening with a couple of them was that like, they were trying to actually, you know, meet up. Right. You know, and like there were some and I just and I just was like, I can't really do that, you know, uh, or there would be guys that I connected with, you know, and we wouldn't talk very long because super quickly it was established that, you know, and like I get it. Most of the, you know, I was joking with my friends the other day, I'm like every halfway decent single guy I know has gotten into a relationship during this time. And it's because now you all feel like you have a reason. You know, because it's like so like guys that were not necessarily all like playing the field or whatever, but like didn't necessarily feel depressed, you know, like women, we have a a different clock going on. And so we tend to, you know, around a certain age, maybe have made a call, a decision, right? Like either I would like to hurry up and do this, or I'm on no timetable, whatever. There's no, you know, but like, where's the guy, you know, some of the guys I know just been kind of just there, yeah, you know, just kind of letting things happen. And now it's like, oh, okay, well, it sucks being lonely. And so, you know, there's a woman living in my house. So like all my little cush, like, Two of my crushes got in relationships, maybe uh, three. It's been awful. So it's <laughs> it sucks. But That's like the worst. it sucks. But I have been told by an intuitive and astrologer and a number of horoscopes that my my love is coming soon, apparently, or allegedly. So we'll see. I'm still I'm like, I'm optimistic about it, but it sucks. Like, I don't know. I was talking to a friend who, you know, I mean, you, you've been partnered for a while, but like, you know, sometimes you just kind of have that friend when you see each other. Of course, you know, yeah. it is what, and so he's in the state. He doesn't live in the country. And so um, I was, you know, we were talking about linking up and I was like, I might just have to like plan that. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there may have to be a quarantine period, like on both ends of it. And I just get to go have some, some, 
you know, like this summer. <laughs> well, I'm, when, I'm, when, like, do, when do the vaccines roll out in LA? So the vaccines are being distributed. Like I'm not high risk. And, and even yeah. now they're on like LA did it very strangely. I'm like, actually, I think I smoke enough weed to be high risk. I would like for you all, especially, especially now. Um, but, uh, I, the way that they were doing it here, which is really awful and disability advocates have been, you know, like really, um, raising a lot of noise about it. But like, at first they were doing it based on risk factor and then they switched it. And it was like everyone over 60, I think it was 75 and then 65, but like, basically they were eliminating disabilities and all these reasons why somebody, cause like, so you could be a 67 year old who can shelter in place yeah. versus a 38 year old who's high risk and has to go to an office. So it, it's, it's a mess here. Um, so I don't feel terribly confident that I'm going to be getting the vaccine anytime soon, but um, they, I guess the most recent estimates that I've seen for getting the majority of the country vaccinated was July so I do, you know, I have some hope and, you know, we'll see. I mean, other states, I haven't, I don't think they've really done this here in California that I've heard about, but I am, you know, investigating. Um, but in other states, like if you volunteer at a vaccine site or if you perhaps escort, you know, somebody to a vaccine site, uh, there may be a possibility of getting vaccinated yourself. But wait, you have to volunteer there first and put yourself at risk first before you get the vaccine? I think you get the vaccine and then you get to volunteer. Okay. No, it's not. Yeah, no, I don't think it's like, <laughs> we'll do this. And then, no, 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 no. Totally not worth it. And you could be coming and giving it to people. No, I think course, that's the yeah. point. So that you're not, you know, yeah. infecting people or well, their caregivers. So. so, you know, Naima's seven, right? Mm-hmm. Your daughter. And so our eldest is almost three. She's two and a half. So she's really, she, she knows that something's going on. I told her there's a thing called COVID that makes people sick, which is why we can't see her grandparents and things like that. It's been almost a year. She's now really starting to ask me, well, when can I see my friends? When can I go to school? Things like that. Because she would go to daycare and whatnot. Uh, And it's hard. And, you know, I try to tell her, well, we can go maybe, maybe next year. But when people start getting better. But again, it's it's easier with her because she's just happy to be playing with us all day, which is you know, another issue on its own. But how do you deal with this with a seven-year-old? Because Naima, too, from what I understand, she comprehends so much. How did you go about dealing dealing this with her? Sorry, my brain is blocked today. (laughs) It's, um, you know, it's an ongoing conversation. You know, early on, I don't think we handled it super well because after the first, so her school was closed for two weeks. That's where they started. We're going to shut down for two weeks and reassess. And obviously, you know, it's coming up on a year. And like, I remember on like Friday or Saturday, she said something. This was like the end of week two. And I was like, oh my gosh, she thinks she's going back to school on Monday. You know, and it, because, and like the adults had already kind of shifted into this, like our new normal, what are we going to, you know, like this is going to be the long haul. And so Naima gets a lot of information, you know, like we tell her a lot of things that a lot of other parents don't tell their children. That's how my parents engage with me, mm-hmm. you know, like there wasn't a lot of, you know, uh, baby words and innuendos kind of like, okay, this is how, you know, things happen. And this is, you know, something that's going on in the world. And like, so we, on one hand, we want to, you know, be honest with her and kind of like, let her know what she's up against in the world. Right. But like at the same time, 
I guess the, the most difficult part is keep aside from, like I was saying, she wants to crawl inside my skin, but like trying to keep her optimistic. I feel very grounded, uh, grounded in my belief that everything is going to be okay. You know, like that things will improve and, you know, like I have optimism for our lives. I don't necessarily try to make these kind of, you know, broad sweeping predictions about the state of the world per se, Mm -hmm. but I'm like, I think that we are going to be fine, you know? And so trying to convince her of that, well, like I believe that, but sometimes it still takes a lot of work to go from, like the deep down and everything is fine. So like right now everything's on fire and it's bad. And like, you know, there's all the other stuff that's happening that's not COVID, right? So it's not just that like the being, I think if it were only the being in the house, if it weren't like an insurrection and like, you know, the impact on the economy, I mean, it's impossible to separate the two, but you know what I mean? Just like all the other things that have shifted or have happened, you know, Mm -hmm. like living through Trump was just really, stressful, you know, like it, it, as much as, you know, I, I'm certainly not somebody who's going to pretend that like, oh, you know, Joe Biden is the president. Everything is great. Right. But like, what a relief to not have to wake up to that every morning, you know? And so like, but also like having to not transfer so much of that anxiety onto her, mm-hmm. you know, especially considering that we typically do tell her the truth. So it's like, you know, like she's very, she is my child. She reminds me so much of myself. Like my, one of my older sisters went to a birthday party and like, you know, there were pictures of it. And so I, you know, I wasn't happy about it. Uh, and my daughter, we called, we were on the phone with one of my friends the other day and she was like, um, well, I'm glad you're in the house when we call because we saw auntie so-and-so and she was at, you know, and so like, she's very much like the social distancing police. So that lady didn't have a mask on and so. <laughs> You know, so she takes it very seriously. She knows it's, you know, but um, she messes her friends. But I will say, like, she has found ways and, and, you know, we've helped her find ways. But, you know, on her own, she's discovered some things that work for her. Like, she gets on the phone with her friends every day. I don't talk to my friends, like, every, you know, like, we've made text every day. But, like, getting on the phone is, you know, still kind of an event. Like, I think earlier on, people were yeah. Like earlier on, I feel like people were just kind of doing it out of this, like, well, here we are, they you had, know? They had to have something to do while they waited for their bread to bake, right? So it, right. it was very much that vibe. <laughs> yes, there was all of that. And now it's kind of like, okay, we're actually like, I feel like I'm busier than like, I was trying to schedule time for like a friend, a couple that just had a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, we were going to either like meet them like at a park, you know, like just and just kind of like look at the baby, you know, or like they were going to drive up, you know, and like we got to do like a little drive up, look at the baby. And like it took us some time to figure out. I was like, why is this hard to schedule? I have no life. Yeah. I have no life, you know, but there's still so much to do. Yeah. Like she talks to her for like, and these are her friends back in New York, mm-hmm. you know, cause she hadn't really gotten too close to any kids here. Cause we yeah. haven't been here very long. They're not on the time, same time zone. Like, I don't know how she manages to work this out every day, but like they get on the phone mm-hmm. and she made two girls who did not really know each other, except for seeing her, you know, seeing one another at her birthday parties are now friends like they uh-huh. have they're the, they're different like the three of them have to get on the phone so um you know and, and she's obsessed with tiktok and tiktok dancing and staging barbie dramedies and stuff like <laughs> she's so she's seven, you know, she's seven she's seven yeah she's the oldest seven-year-old in the world she's you know like a little auntie I I love it. And, you know, I I do love your stories about her and when you relate things to her, because even though my kids, I have two daughters, they're not at that age yet. I just 
there's just so much to relate to, even if I can't relate at all in that, whether it's your mindset and how you're trying to raise Naima. And, you know, I was I was curious about that. There was an episode I was listening to of Mom and Dad Are Fighting. And you said that, you know, somebody says, oh, Naima, you know, are you going to grow up and have a husband one day? And then she'll stop them in their tracks and say, hold on, how do you know what my gender preference will be and things like that? What if I want to marry a woman? And I think that these are conversations that people wouldn't, some people might never consider to have with their seven-year-old. And even using proper language, like we don't use any euphemisms for like penis, vagina, vulva, whatever. And that's super important to us and how we parent. But I haven't even considered, I mean, with a three-year-old, it's hard, but I I don't even know how I'm going to take that next step and talk about gender identity and whatnot. So how do you make that like a a conscious parenting decision every day? You know, it's, Certain, you know, there's some things where you're just kind of like, how am I going to explain this to my kid? Like, you don't know until it comes up, right? Mm-hmm. And like, it, 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 these things come up. So it, it hasn't necessarily been that like, okay, we have to sit down and talk to you about, you know, what, what this means. It's been, you know, she has an aunt who was married to a woman who had previously, you know, that she had only known of as being in relationships with men, right? And so it wasn't, you know, introducing queerness, but talking about specifically bisexuality, you know, my best friend who's her godfather is a gay guy, you know, and so like I brought her to the National Black Justice Coalition conference one year, which is a group kind of like the, you know, LGBTQ NAACP, you know, or uh, sort of organization. So like, you know, like she's spent time, like she's spent time around, you know, a good number of transgender folks and gender non-conforming folks, you know? And so it's like in real time, I've had the opportunity to explain to her, like, you know, this person uses these pronouns and, you know, like, I know that to you, you know, this may look like it's one thing, but that's not what the situation is. It's actually that, right? Like it's it just, kids are so open, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, like this runs counter to some of the stuff she's saying on, you know, TV or whatever in places or, you know, like just between kids, books and TV still give you a pretty heteronormative, very you know, much, like uh, America centric, like, you know, largely white, diverse, but largely white. And the black girls are all light skinned like she, you know, like it's, there's still a lot of homogeneity there, but it's improved. But aside from that, you know, like the world around her is, is so colorful and, you know, um, She's just, I I think it's really just a lot of it has to do with the people that we've had around her, you know, so that because she's, um, you know, been exposed to different people and, you know, folks that do political work or activist work, you know, that these things kind of naturally just like are on her radar or she'll say, you know, what are you reading or, you know, what's this? What does that mean? Um, You know, seeing things around the house. So Mm -hmm. it hasn't been too hard. Yeah. But see, and I think that's a testament, though, to you, not only as a parent, but as a person who is trying to make waves and trying to get involved with different communities and be present and be helpful and moving things forward in a good direction. Because if you were not, she would not have that exposure. And you know, as well as I, so many kids are not getting that exposure because their parents, you know, it's not it's not a priority. Right. We're trying to make that a priority. Hasn't always been. We've been shitty at it sometimes. And the pandemic's not helping right now because we can't get out anywhere, but we're trying. And, you know, I was curious about your own upbringing and if that kind of instilled some of these values. So I read in 
again, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the internet talking. So your mother was an activist and your father was a member of the Black Panther Party. Mm -hmm. And so was there a lot of politics in your household? And did you kind of learn how to be active at a young age? So like my parents were not, uh, my father still, you know, participates in activist work in some capacity, but, and, and their politics are, you know, much the same as they were when they were younger, but, you know, I didn't really see them doing, you know, that stuff in real time, but, you know, it was talked about and, and those values were instilled in me. So that certainly, I think, had a lot to do with, you know, me wanting to instill those same values in mm -hmm. Naima. And then also my parents were very open and, you know, upfront with me about a lot of things and, and, you know, things that other kids like the, you know, we didn't really use euphemisms for it. Like we, and it's just, I'm the same way. We didn't use euphemisms for, I mean, in public, sometimes my mother would say like your private area. Right. But right. like, you know, but, but we didn't say, you know, PP or bum bum or whatever, any words like that, but for like, number one and number two. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just saying, I'm so gross. I'm so like, uh, about those things. I'm like, I don't even want to say that. But like, so those things we we, we do. She knows what the actual words are, yeah. but, um, you know, but like, that's how they were with me. And so I just, it's kind of really the only way I know how to be. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then, you know, when it comes to like, um, Naima changed your name on Zoom to Kamala Harris for VP. So when it comes like to politics, did you how did that integrate into your parenting? Like, how did you develop your ethos around that as a mother? Yeah, so she was she was Kamala on Halloween. Oh, and it's weird. So, like, she signed into Zoom on the other computer. So I think it went back to that. But I'm just, because, like, the other day I was like, why is this back? I've been on Zoom, like, every day um, since <laughs> October 31st. But, uh, you know, I, she participated, I, I bring her along. So I, I worked on a political campaign and uh, I've only worked on two campaigns, but, you know, or supported two campaigns. And, like, you know, there was one in New York where I was working in an office two or three days a week and doing events and like she was often there, mm -hmm. you know, and when I supported the Warren campaign, you know, we talked about what I was doing and why. And so it's been less about like indoctrination. I mean, there are values that I'm certainly trying to instill in her, but less about like, OK, and so this is what we do and this is how you feel. It's just kind of like, here's what I feel. This is what I think is best, mm -hmm. you know, her hopefully understand that she has the same autonomy and hopefully has the, the same or rather has clarity on what all these things mean to her mm -hmm. as she gets older and, you know, is able to make some strong decisions based on the information she was given. All right, Jamila, we're just going to take a quick break and let listeners know that we are supported by... We are supported by my breast friend. No, I'm not talking about Veronica. I am talking about the number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies. Well, that would be your best friend who's Veronica. Your breast friend is B-R-E-S-T. <laughs> and that is a very special brand that sells nursing pillows. It's true. For more than 25 years, my breast friend's patented wraparound design has supported people in over 40 countries and thousands of birthing hospitals to support successful nursing. Lactation consultants around the world credit the pillow for helping parents achieve longer and more comfortable feeding cycles than they even thought possible. I can speak to that from experience. I got a My Breast Friend pillow without even knowing it was a My Breast Friend, and it really made life so much easier for me. It's a Cadillac of nursing pillows. It's simply the best, most supportive choice for successful breastfeeding. You can purchase My Breast Friend online at buybuybaby.com, target.com, walmart.com, babylist.com, and amazon.com. But we are also supported by Bravado Designs. 
Bravado Designs makes the best nursing bras that you will find out there. I am telling you, take my word for it. And if you won't take mine, take Shane's. Long story short, I introduced Alex to Bravado Designs. Story over. <laughs> when Shane introduced me, they had only their nursing bra collection, which was incredible. I love and I wore long after I stopped nursing Lucy. But now Bravado Designs has an everyday collection, which has no clips, but the same amazing comfort for your boobs. You can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. And regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code ThisFamilyTree20 for 20% off your order. Again, that is bravadodesigns.com and ThisFamilyTree20. And now back to our interview with Jamila. Yeah. Honestly, there's so many things, like politics aside, that make me so nervous in raising kids and me wanting to make sure that they, you know, have that autonomy, that they have that foundation to make good decisions and things. But then I think about some ways in which I totally abide by like stupid, impossible Western standards for beauty. And it's like, I'm terrified of aging. I'm trying not to be, but I'm super freaking scared of it. And like every single girl I know is getting some kind of injection power to them. But then I'm sitting here. I'm like, oh, man, like I'm only 32. I'm not even 32 yet. I'll be 32 in a month. And it's like. People don't have, you know, eye wrinkles anymore, forehead wrinkles. And I'm, I see myself getting self-conscious and I see myself looking in the mirror and like looking at my gut and things like that. And I get nervous about being able to properly instill like feminist type values in her when I'm still so caught up in looking attractive by, you know, these what what the hell is attractive but by those stupid standards and I can't separate myself from it so I'm so curious in getting other people's perspectives on that like is that something that you think about like what if Naima grew up and was like mom I want to get you know under eye injections or forehead injections when she's what like in her Naima 20s grew up? what if right? Naima grew up and said that what if what if what I think the better question my dear is what's going to happen when Naima realizes what the shots that mommy gets in her face are well, there you go. See? So like, yeah. And how do you, and, and how do you, yeah. how do you talk about this? And how do you, how do you approach Wait. that? So it's funny. Cause like I did bring her once to get my injectable. In fact, once her, she's been with me to get waxed and lasered before. Mm. So there's that, right? Yeah. So she, she like, she's aware that grooming is a big part of what I do and that my appearance matters to me. And so I've tried to make the distinction between it's cool. Like I'm a little bit vain and that's okay. That is my choice to mm. be that way. I do not feel like I have to do these things. And I try to, you know, cause like she's into makeup already. Like she wants to do, and we let her wear makeup sometimes. We just let her wear it sometimes. It's like, whatever. It's obviously, you know, it's not making her look older. She looks mm. like a kid with makeup <laughs> on her face, you know, like poorly, you know, applied yeah. glitter and stuff. It's fine. <laughs> and so we were going somewhere the other day and she was like, well, can I put on makeup? I was like, we don't have time. And she's like, well, you're putting on makeup. And I was like, well, I kind of need, and so I was like, uh, you know, so, cause then I just, but she also sees me leave the house without makeup often. So it's not like, you know, it, it's not that I, like my mother never left the house without makeup. Like if my mm -hmm. mom left the house without makeup and her hair done, something was wrong like whether we were going to the laundromat or going you know anywhere she was just going to be and my mother wore a full face of makeup every day whereas I typically you know 
my bare minimum, you know, and again, there are days where I just don't wear anything, but typically I do at least a brow and a concealer. So mm-hmm. it's not that she, you know, so, and then there are days where for me, I'm like, oh no, I can't, I have to do my brow and my concealer. I, I, I can't go through a day without under eye. Cannot. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah. it's bad, you know? And then when I do that, it highlights that my brows could be thicker, you know? So I had like microblade, you know, some of the stuff I was doing before I'm not doing, and I have had some beauty services since the, you know, pandemic, but very few, you know, and like, and I kind of stopped. I was like, uh, you know, this isn't quite, mm-hmm. you know, the, when the numbers were really spiking. So I was like, okay, I don't, I don't want to participate in this right now. And so, um, even though I am investigating an outdoor hair salon, cause I'm like, if I can get, go outside and get a trim, please God. <laughs> but you know, it, it's, it's difficult, but like, yeah, I, you know, not as about everything I've done, but I will say I have prepared myself that if she wants to do those things to be supportive, because I've done those things, you know, and as long as she understands that this is, you know, you can think of it as an indulgence, you can think of it as a preference, but mm-hmm. at the moment where this becomes a necessity or a requirement for you, you know, it, it's time to do some reassessing because again, it's fine to be like, my eyebrows are very thin. That drives me crazy. I must have thicker eyebrows. It's another thing to be like, my nose must be contoured within an inch of his life every day, you know, <laughs> like, and, and she doesn't see me changing my ethnic features or anything, you know, but like, it, it, it's, but yeah, like the, the, it's funny because um, there was a time after the time she went with me to get the injectables and she was like, am I going to have to get shots in the face <laughs> of the doctor? <laughs> Just like not for at least 25 years. There you go. Yeah. Well, see, I, ne- I <laughs> that was something I thought would be easy to explain away. But, you know, my daughter, my three-year-old sees me putting on makeup because I have to do it in the middle of the playroom so that I don't lose sight. And it's like you're multitasking. And she goes, Mommy, why are you wearing that? And again, I was about to say, well, I need – no, I, I don't need to. But then I started thinking about it. I'm like, no, I feel like I need to to look hot. And I want to look yeah. hot in some regard. Yeah. But then it's I started deep diving on that and I found it so hard to answer. And it was it was hard for me to cope with my own feelings toward it. I think it's okay to want to look a certain kind of way. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's it's difficult. And we know that like we were conditioned by patriarchy. We know that these are Western standards of beauty mm-hmm. and all the reasons that but like not exclusively, but largely, right? That this is coming from a standard yeah, that course. a very small number of women fit into, right? But I think as long as you're able to just try to do the the mental work of breaking up, I must because something is wrong with me, or I would prefer not to have dark circles under my eyes. And that is something that, you know, they haven't found a filler yet that completely makes that go away. You know, they they have pure dark circles. They help. They help. Oh, yes. I know. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Is it worth it? Yes. Uh, yes. I'm team fillers for sure. Uh, and and yeah. And like, I'm, I'm also, I'm a little bit, I guess the whole black don't crack thing works to my advantage (laughs) because most people wouldn't have assumed I had them unless you know what they, when you really know what they look like, I don't think I have any, like right now, I don't think they're visible, but like there's a telltale look when they're freshly done that even when they're well done, like, it's kind of like, I know that look, you know, and so, but it's, I think one of that stuff is just so common now, mm-hmm. you know, that I think on some level, we're just going to have to release it in the same way that, you know, there may have been women who agonized over the desire to wear lipstick, you know, at all. Yeah. But, but it's just, again, that it's not, there's nothing wrong with me. 
this is a version of myself that I prefer. This is still mm-hmm. me. I'm me with the eyeliner, I'm me with the concealer and I'm me without it. And I think that, you know, sometimes because I will make myself just like, you're just running to the store, it's two blocks, so just go, you know, like, and also wearing it to be fair, there's a mask. So like when you're not made up and most of your face is covered and you have on a hat, it doesn't feel quite as, you know, the same. It's just like I'm outside, yeah. you know, but- um, That's why you need your brows I, done though. Cause I know, and- <laughs> And I wear lash extensions, mm-hmm. um, like that too. Cause I, excuse me. I'm like, I, you know, I always think about my mom wearing a full face of makeup with foundation and all every day. And I like, I rarely do like foundation is like, I'm doing a thing, you know, usually, but I'm like, yeah, but if she had permanent brows and, uh, fake eyelashes, you know, then maybe she would have also just been like, Oh, I'm just going out with a little gloss, you know? Cause like I have my makeup on, uh, before I leave the house sometimes. So it, you know, it, it's, I think it's something we just have to give ourselves, like, we can't take the guilt on, you know what I mean? I think that's the biggest thing that like, even if we feel like, oh, you know, I I don't necessarily like want to expose her to them to this, or I don't want to, you know, make them feel like they have to do this too. It's just like, they're going to be getting those messages from a lot of places. So as long as you're intentional about saying like, these are choices, you have choices, you can choose none of this. And like, my daughter, like, cause you know, I dress her, you know, not identical to me, but like similar, you know, certain things that, you know, I gravitate toward, you know, we do a lot of mini me stuff and I check in, like, do you like this? This is cool. Like I, we love cheetah print and leopard print, you know, animal print. We are animal print girls. You're a woman after my own heart. (laughs) Yes. We have no, like in her, we have like, we each have a different uh, colors. Mine is like burgundy and hers is pink, but we have like a sheet of print accent walls in our respective bedrooms, you know? And so I check in with her. I'm like, Naima, you do like this stuff, right? You're not just doing this because I like it. She's like, I love sheet of print. (laughs) That's the best. I just, I recently got a pair of beautiful cheetah print slippers and they are (laughs) all the rage at my house right now with my daughters. But I just have two more questions for you. So Jamila, how would you like to see the paradigm of motherhood or parenthood shift? I, oh, I love that question. I just really want there to be more support for parents, mothers in particular. You know, that takes on a lot of that. That's, you know, emotional support, that's cheerleading, that's understanding from, you know, partners and employers and, you know, people on the bus next to the mom with the stroller that are rolling their eyes because the baby's crying, you know, like just in every level of society, you know, like the West does not, you know, I mean, it, it, it's worse here <laughs> in certain ways, but like in general, you know, there's a way that other cultures approach motherhood and, and childbirth that I wish that the West would adopt in terms of really just like it being a time where you pause and the community around you, the land. you know, pours into you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, and, and people cook for you and take care of you. And, and, you know, I like a lot of people are doing that in their individual circles and, and that's great. But I just think that on a broader level, like we have to really treasure, like, and I, we don't honor motherhood at all, you know, like just the, the process of pregnancy, the risk of it, you know, um, the, the, the trauma and, you know, the rebuilding of your body, not just like what it looks like, but you know, what it feels like. And, and, you know, all of that just needs to be valued. And because no matter what your relationship to your mother may be, every single one of us is here because somebody endured that, right? That somebody took that. And so if we're not able to affirm the thing from which we all came, you know, I, I don't know what we really can collectively rally around. 
I think that is a beautiful answer. And just as beautiful, before we go, I just want to say I love your writing. You are such a wonderful writer. And I really appreciate that. I'm an English teacher when it's not pandemic and when I'm not on mat leave. And uh, just from that lens, I am so happy to have had this talk with you today because I do so love your writing. (laughs) Everything you do is so poetic, much. much like that answer that you just gave. But Jamila, thank you so much. And where can our listeners find you? Check out your writing, check out your projects online. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been really, really nice. And your your daughter is it just a gumdrop. <laughs> She's so cute. Thank you. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamila Lemieux. And when I write new stuff, I usually post it there. And I contribute to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, usually on Fridays. And the Mom and Dad are Fighting podcast goes up on Thursdays. And I have a new show for Slate called Wilder Wise. It's a talk show with my best friend. Uh, so we're best. launching tomorrow. Yeah. That's amazing congratulations and good luck with that thank you all right jamila take care enjoy the rest of your week and again thank you so so much that was a lot thank of fun. you and i'm sorry for being late thank oh, you all so much it. we get it <laughs> see ya all right take care that was a great interview alex thank you i had so much fun sitting there with her and it's funny because before the interview started i told shane how nervous i was because people with high intellect and you know, her reputation, it just makes me so nervous because I feel like I won't be able to maintain a conversation or be on par with them. But she was so warm and she was so easy to talk to that that was a really enjoyable one for me. Wow. I didn't know you had that insecurity that I have because I consider you to be such a smart cookie. Yeah, but when I'm... Uh, oh, now you're getting cocky. No, see, I, I do feel like a smart cookie. But then when okay. I'm also met with other smart cookies and smarter cookies, I feel so not smart. Yeah, you're not that smart. Chill. Well, I feel so not smart when somebody is also smart. Yeah, as you should. Yeah, thanks. Just bringing you down a notch. Knowledge of non-knowledge is power, babe. But are you ready for the questions? What is that from? What is that knowledge of non-knowledge? Is Fubar. that FUBAR? Okay. I'm ready for the questions. Now, this is the mailbag segment. This is where listeners submit questions. Alex does her research, answers them, and I'm along for the ride and trying to contribute my two cents. All right. So the first question we have is quite timely. What is the biggest source of parent guilt for you both at the moment? So I got into mine at the moment. It is in overwhelmingly time and attention especially for Lucy because so much of my attention and time is with Betty, putting her down for naps, trying to get her fed. She needs so much help with feeding, breastfeeding. So I mean breastfeeding and table feeding. And then Lou is just so sweet and she's just always wanting to play and adventure and do fun things. And I just feel like I can't give her enough. And the fact that she's not in daycare because of COVID weighs super heavily on me. So that is, that's something that has me really down right now. Mm-hmm. For me, it's the shame that you give me when I'm looking at my phone. I feel like you're overly harsh on me. And what I like to do is very rarely, I like to watch basketball highlights on my phone <laughs> with the volume on. And I do it at times typically when we're having screen time, like a shared screen time. And we mentioned this at the top of the episode, but you give me daggers. And if we had to do a pie chart of who's on their phone more, it would be you. I'm working. I know. My work but, is on my phone. Sure. But but I'm never giving you daggers, really, unless you and I are having 
time where we want to watch something on the TV ourselves and you're on your phone. So wait, what? wait, this is all centered around me. Yeah, because I don't feel guilt in any other way. Oh. It's only when the worst thing for me is, and, and this this makes me feel so bad, when I'm playing with Lou all day, like for the, you know, let's say Lou wakes up at 6.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. Let's say she wakes up a little bit earlier and I'm down here playing with her and then you come downstairs at nine but the time you come down is when i'm on my phone looking at something after we've just been playing for two and a half hours in your mind you're like oh he was probably just <laughs> laying on the couch doing nothing and i've made like 30 forts made her a waffle made her a wrap grilled something on there took her on a horsey ride played a nerf fight like whatever like we've been doing it all and then i feel like Oh, I'm being judged so harshly right now. And if she only knew. And I won't lie and say that I haven't thought that upon coming downstairs and seeing that. But then I know inherently that that's not you. And I know that you are doing so much with her. Oh, I've taken it. To, I've taken her to the point where she doesn't want to play anymore. <laughs> She's like, no, daddy, let's stop. Let's sit down. She goes, sit on your chair. I go, where's my chair? She goes, the couch. And she points. And she doesn't want to. She's sick of playing with me. Yeah. So that's why my playing with the kids' family time is, I'm not like, oh, I wish I was hanging out with no, them. No, no, again. But for me, it's all of us to do that together. Because again, sure. it's just all handing off, right? But yeah, I mean, if we weren't handing off, then when the heck would either one of us be able to get a moment of quiet in for ourselves or be able to pee or be able to eat something? So it's so necessary. It's just, it's a hard balance right now. Wait, you have moments of quiet? No. Okay, I was going to say. I did. It's not fair. I did today during our hard day when I ran into our bedroom to cry for five minutes. That was a moment of quiet that was quickly not quiet because of my my sobs that i was trying to keep oh, from anybody else hearing. i thought that was a whimpering dog <laughs> i'm glad that because our house is old and i was worried that maybe we had an animal somewhere in the house <laughs> okay moving on so this one's good what did you think of northwest's artwork and the reaction that it received shane do you know what this is about hit me okay i'm gonna find a photo so northwest Kanye West and Kim Kardashian's daughter. She is a seven-year-old girl, and she painted this. Whoa. I don't believe it. So she did a landscape Kim Kardashian took to Instagram to show off a piece. It was a landscape piece by Northwest. It's like very Bob Rossi. There's a mountain in the back, a river, trees, and it is so good. Yeah, I don't like to say that something fishy is going on, but somehow I don't fully buy it. So it is wildly good. You have to look this up right now. Stop what you're doing. Just type in Northwest artwork and you will see it. So my initial reaction was the same as you, Shane. I thought, okay, there's no way. They have video over? Well, no, but here's the thing. You know, the majority of us are sitting in quarantine and we are trying to get by. You know, I'm just trying to give more attention to the kids, whatever. But if you are so wealthy where you don't need to be working all the time, where you can afford to give your kids these experiences, they can afford, first of all, the best art teachers and music teachers and whatever to teach their kids. They can have more structured days within their own homes, even during COVID, just because money allows for it, right? Also, Kanye West, very talented visual artist. So then she's got that natural talent seeping Mm -hmm. through her veins. Also... I saw a TikTok from the art teacher's daughter. So you can find it. It's at 
Cameron Fred, so C-A-M-R-Y-N-F-R-E-D on TikTok. And this girl, she's young, she's like maybe in her early 20s, and she's saying, hey, I never thought I'd have to go and defend this and explain this, but that is North's artwork. And just in case you don't believe that, here's a picture of me when I was seven years old, and here's the scenery painting that I did and won awards for. My mom's just an incredible art teacher. And anybody that comes through her classes does this exact same painting when they're seven years old and does it just as well because they sit there and they do it step by step. And then there were two art professors. We have Sarah Ibsen and Jeff Barnes. So they're both art professors at universities in the States. They both said that a seven-year-old is perfectly capable of doing that, which again is wild to me. But they said, if you just go step by step and actually teach them techniques, a seven-year-old is perfectly capable. Wow, I hate to go into conspiracy theories, but I think this is an elaborate <laughs> network of liars that have been paid off. They're, they're uh, crisis actors, but like art actors. I like it. Yeah, no, but check it out. It's it's really fascinating. And it's amazing that kids are capable of so much. And I think that we forget that. And me, I don't even think I'm capable of that. So kids are capable of a lot uh that much i don't know so <laughs> let's say she allegedly did that all right i'm saying she did i believe it i am a believer but the next question how do you teach a toddler about stranger danger have you ever brought anything like that up to lou well we call them pervert alerts in this household <laughs> and no um i don't know i'm I'm around her i feel like i don't want to get into that area yet which is probably very unwise of me but I, I don't know how to broach it so i'm hoping you can tell me yeah so you're actually not far off because i was looking at an article on baby center which is just so good for you know lots of parenting stuff but they recommend not actually getting into conversations about strangers and about you know, other people until they're a little bit older, maybe three, four, five, depending on your kids. I don't know. You know, you know your kids best. But conversations in this realm start as toddlers. So you and I already have these conversations with Lucy, and this is just about general body safety. So again, using proper names for your kids' genitals, making sure that they know that most people are not allowed to touch them. That is theirs and mommy and daddy can help out with wiping and things like that but those are their genitals they're not to be touched keeping them close to you when you're out and walking things like that and no secrets so no secrets between either parent and the kid between grandparents and the kids other friends or relatives your kids are not allowed to keep secrets with mommy and daddy and knowing that they're not allowed to keep secrets knowing proper names for things and you know body autonomy that's going to give you a foundation when you go to build on those conversations as they get older about all right maybe we can't trust this person we don't know them because they're a stranger and at least giving them the tools to say well this person you know asked to see this or asked to touch this whatever to have that body safety is the first step and your kid can be having those conversations at two years old so that's where you start and then you kind of work up from there. All right, so next question. Shane, how would you have felt if Alex did not take your surname? Would you hyphenate it for the kids? I'll do anything, but like, <laughs> sure, yes, I would. Just answer the question bluntly, but much in the way Alex is doing, although she has taken my full name, she's not really using it. I use it. You, you use it maybe around me. I use then, it 80%. Like, I'm Alex, like if she gets a phone call from someone, she'll be like, Alexandra Cunningham speaking and then they'll be like well it says Lamparsky here and she's like yeah well I'm just saying Cunningham but 
you go by Lamparski in 98% of all interactions, whether it's ordering a pizza pie or <laughs> uh, your your job, like you do not go by Cunningham. It's hard to break a habit of saying the same last name for decades and then all of a sudden not say it anymore. But I, everything has finally switched over on all my IDs. We've only been married for five years, so four and a half years. And I think that everywhere I'm now, Cunningham, except for my day job, which I'm going to keep as Lamparski because I put in all my work as Lamparski, so I want to be, you know. Yeah, but I'm fine. Call me Lamparski Cunningham. I would feel, if I'm being really honest, I'd feel a little weird if you didn't take my name and just were like, Mm -hmm. no, I'm going to be Lamparski, but I'm a little bit older. I'm outdated, and part (laughs) of that is ingrained in me, and I'm not proud to admit it. But I'd be I'd be fine. I'd get over it. Would you ever just take my name? Yeah, I, like I said, I, I would do anything. If there's a compelling enough argument, I would hate to just be so staunch in some old school mm-hmm. way. And maybe it's time that men started doing it because it's been the other way for so long. But it would be a conversation and it would take me a little bit of a, a stewing period to think it <laughs> over, you know. But yeah. I, I'm pretty easygoing. See, my argument for having everybody the same last name and ultimately why I was super happy to take Cunningham was because, you know, in conversation before we decided on this, because I was really in love with my last name and my family and everything, and it was a hard move for me, but we wanted to be on the same team. We wanted us and our kids to all be on the same team and all go by the same name just because for us, you know, there was such a feeling of unity in that and That's what I love about the name taking, regardless of whose name you take. That's what I like about it. Yeah, but people listening, if you don't have that, you're it's not that you're any less united. For me, it was just that it keeps it that 0.5% easier. Yeah, yeah, it's just one last thing I needed to talk to, but I do not think you're less of a family unit or no, I, I don't, I don't either, but I, I like. The vibe. And for me, that's why it worked, you know? It's a vibe. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Next question. Do you think girls look for a man like their father? Is Shane like your dad in any way? So, you know, I've read so many different things about this topic, especially when I was in university, like in psychology class, whatever, first year psych that has 300 students. People think your dad's my dad. Yeah, I was going to get into that. So I read an article in Scientific American by Martin Gundry and Sarah Gudarzi. So they said that people tend to find a spouse that looks a little bit like their parents only because they're looking unconsciously for a person that looks more like themselves. Yes, because so kids can look the same. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's it's not even it's not at that level of consciousness so they're just so familiar with their own attributes and their own faces that they find more of a comfort in finding somebody that looks like them and then that comfort turns into you know there's a level of attraction there so then inadvertently you're sure finding somebody that looks like your parents but it's because you're familiar with how you look so yeah when i was posting like whenever we get together with my parents because they live basically down the street you know, Shane and my dad hanging up at the cottage together or whatever. And it wasn't until recently that everybody realized that my dad was my dad. And Mm -hmm. I thought Shane and my dad were so different. I thought they looked so different and everything until people started saying that to me. And then I was like, holy crow, 
You well, guys the first time I met your look alike. The first time I met your dad, we were at uh, Westtown, which is a local Hamilton joint, breakfast joint. <laughs> and I was like, "Whoa, this guy kind of looks like me. This is funny." You thought that? Yeah, I was like, "This is funny." People are gonna think like Alex has like a, a it's like that comp. Was it Oedipus or? Well, that's for Edible. boys, and then it's called the Electra Complex. For- Electra. Yeah, for hmm. for girls and dads, for boys, it's Oedipus Complex for right. boys and moms. Right. And then no one said anything. I heard like maybe one comment. But then I posted a picture of your dad on my Instagram alluding to the fact that he was your dad. But all the comments were about how he was my dad. And they were like, oh, good genes, man, and all this. And it's like, oh, you're so much like your old man. And I was like, oh, haha. And I didn't really comment. <laughs> it's funny. It's so funny because it really is... I, I can't not see it now. Mm-hmm. And it is funny, and especially when you turn certain ways or make certain expressions. But then, of course, you see your own parents and you're like, oh, you couldn't be anybody else's son. But if you were just looking at Shane and my dad beside each other, you'd 100% think that you're related. Yeah. What about me? Do I remind you a lot of your mom? <sighs> my mom. No, you, you don't remind me a lot of my mom. I did have a girlfriend who reminded me of my mom. But you are not that girlfriend. You are against my typical type. Against your typical type? Yeah. And I'm the only blonde you've dated. Yeah. I like attractive women who are typical. I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding, Alex, Alex. Come on. Um, <laughs> no, um, you're, you are just someone I've never thought I would end up with. Maybe, what? like in my wedding speech, I was saying how you're like my stepmom in the sense that you're so overtly wear your kindness on your sleeve that that is something i've been attracted to and around a lot Mm -hmm. and something i don't really have in my family which is that person who's always smiling and trying to take away stress instead of bringing up something that could be stressful my dad and mom lean more to be pointing out stressors in life and things to avoid whereas your dad who i i consider you similar to is bringing up the joys in life for things to look forward to which for me is nice and that's how Rosanna is mm-hmm. so my do you think that you and I look like in any way slightly a little mm-hmm. bit I think we could look like cousins like yeah you know we're like, just strong we have the same strong features but they're strong in different ways almost you know mm-hmm. yeah like you have a good chin yeah <laughs> gonna mention yours. you were making i said me, good chin you were making me kind of tear up at first and then you say the good chin is good chin bad no jay leno's I, got a good chin chain i wouldn't say he had a good chin but let's not chin shame and go to the next question i thought chin was gonna be the straw that made you cry <laughs> oh. all right how do you approach discipline or how will you do it as it's going right now everything you is- kind of just yell at me i find <laughs> I did get timeouts early, but then you got comfortable and just started uh, going straight to raising your voice. And you'll get a spanking later. Ow! <laughs> Everything with the girls or with Lucy, I guess Betty's much too young for this, but is just feeling based. There really isn't discipline. There's consequences right now. What's a consequence we go for? Well, if she it was sitting you know, in her chair or whatever, throws food on the ground, knowingly does it. We will we take pick her- that up after <laughs> no, but- we ask her to, and she says no. <laughs> but we will take her out of the chair. We learned to do this because we weren't doing it right away. And really, we got so much of this from you know people who have been guests on the show. Big little feelings. They're they're so great at this kind of respect based, feeling based parenting. So we would take Lucy out of the high chair or out of her seat, 
and we try to get her to help us clean up because you know if you throw something on the floor it's there it needs to get picked up and needs to go in the garbage today lucy spilled water all over her playroom she picked up like a full glass of water from the table brought it to her playroom and decided to give her dolls a bath which is that why you were yelling drink it from the other one? <laughs> that's not true <laughs> so you know i didn't get upset with lucy i didn't get mad at her i just said whoa lucy this is a huge mess. We don't take water from the table and bring it into the playroom. If you want to give your dolls a bath, ask mommy. We'll do that in the bathtub. So I got a towel and she helped me clean it. And she was really good about helping me clean it. But that is something that she wasn't good initially with. She wasn't good initially at taking ownership over things that she had done. And she didn't want to help with the cleanup or whatever it was or say sorry. But she's getting better at that. And I think it's because there's... You know, when we ask her to help out with something or to say sorry, there isn't, if there's no anger behind it, then they're more willing to make amends and to help out because I don't, I don't know. I don't yeah. know, but that, that, that's how it seems. And I think that's how we've been handling it. Yeah. We ask her to apologize. Usually she's embarrassed, mm-hmm. so she doesn't want to apologize immediately. So she will do a minor lash out when we ask her to apologize. I try not to force the issue because I find it exacerbates it. And then later on, she will come to me mm-hmm. and apologize, which is good. But Lou and water, as a side note, do not mix. <laughs> uh, today, you gave Lou a water bottle in her crib to pacify her. And all she does with that water is the second you leave, she pours it all over animals, all over her crib. And it's it's like, I, I think when I was young, I had a thing for fire. Like it wasn't like an arsonist, but I was just fascinated by fire and yeah. But Lou's like that with water. She just thinks it's so. No, I know. Cool. Yeah, well, it is, I guess. But until she's then screaming and crying because her entire bed is wet and all her animals are wet, and then we have to go in there and it's a whole thing. But yeah, I think just getting down to why they did it, knowing that it's wrong and why it's wrong, and if you can explain that in a calm and in a calm way for them to understand an easy way for them to understand then you're good all right this is our final question i am excited for this one was the britney spears documentary good and what is actually going on with britney okay so i'm gonna say i'll start i'm gonna say yes it was good no it wasn't well hold on i'm mad this fires me up actually i know and i knew i knew you would so this is why i was excited for this but i thought it was good in the sense that It just shed so much light on the earlier stuff and I didn't really know the full extent to what she had gone through. And then I started feeling really crappy because I felt so complicit in everything because I used to make fun. Like I'd pick up the magazines and be like, whoa, Britney's losing it. And it would be, it was a source of entertainment even though I felt bad for her at the time. I was eating up all that media, right? you didn't, you needed to be told that like to shine a light on that. You didn't know in the framework in which we look at things now that that was bad. Oh, of course, but you know looking back on it and without like looking at everything that had happened is different yeah i feel bad but then looking through it on the dock and reliving those instances i just thought it was fascinating right but it doesn't get into really they they talk about the conservatorship that she's under but it doesn't get into why she is a shadow of her former self I know, and I guess the easy answer is, oh, she has mental health issues mm-hmm. going Medications. on. Medications. Right, on right now, or maybe it's medication. But the fact that it doesn't even address it at all, that was really, it, like, I, I had a fascination with that 
alone. I knew the the other things, like that everyone was totally unfair to her. The media was harassing her. She had the mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. It was just a reminder of all those things that I already knew. But I wanted to pinpoint what actually has her acting the way she is right now, which is very strange given how just a few years ago she was acting much different. And it seems like that turn in personality mm-hmm. is almost impossible. Who knows if we are should all be having the right to, to learn all these things. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying from my, for me in the dock to, to skip over that is strange. Well, I think a lot of people are worried too, right? So I think a lot of people wanted to know and were hoping that it would it would address that just for the sake of her because th- there are so many diehard fans. They want to make sure she's safe, she's okay. And then when, you know, the But I last- don't think knowing that makes her any more safe or okay, just knowing why she is acting seemingly so strange. Well, especially since she was performing in Vegas. So many people saw her in Vegas not that long ago mm-hmm. and she's putting on shows, full shows, and then you see her on Instagram, you know, doing what she's doing on Instagram. And it's scary. It's scary Mm. that that one person can have these totally contrasting personalities. And it's got to be medication. That's the only thing I can think of. But yeah. yeah. What are you giving that out of 10? Seven. Seven. It's higher than Malcolm (laughs) and Marie. What do you give it? I give it a six. I I, uh, enjoyed the definition of six. Okay, yeah, I enjoyed watching it, but did I think it was a good doc? No, it wasn't as stylish as Malcolm and Marie, but the conversation was the conversation better. Probably not, but there was less tension, which I appreciated. And I appreciate everyone who listens to this podcast. And I feel a lot better just at the end of this pod than I did at the beginning. So thank you for uh, giving us a reason to have a podcast because I think if no one listened, we wouldn't do it. But if you could give us a five-star rating, we would really appreciate it. I know I'm always begging here at the end, but it does make a difference. And I want to read a review. Oh, I've deleted my podcast. Do you have it? Oh, you have? I deleted it. (laughs) It doesn't change the fact that I want to read a review. I had to clear space on my iPhone, and I uh, don't have the podcast. So I won't be reading a review, but I will make up for it next week, and I'll read too. Ooh. Something to look forward to. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to This This Family Family Tree Tree Podcast. Podcast. Episode 74.